live. Okay, welcome to a live stream of Student of the Serpent. First one, we haven't put an episode in a long time, so uh, it's been a while. Uh, Rob and I have had a hard time lining stuff up. We got the episode, you know, kind of what we're doing and all the research is kind of done, just kind of nailing down the time to try to get together and put it uh, to audio, but uh, so we figured give you guys a live stream um we're about to head back out to west texas again uh which is awesome so as we'll be headed out there soon and we thought it would be cool to chat with someone about i don't know dare i say one of the most iconic species of the area i know that's what we went there to find uh the great banded king snake aka alterna let's welcome brian box to the show welcome brian how you doing i'm doing well how are you guys great 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 I'm excited and jealous a little bit too, because uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to get back out. But uh, I guess I won't get out as soon as you guys will. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I'll ask this question: Do you consider yourself? Uh, are you a herper before a keeper? Or are you a keeper before a herper? Or are they both equal? Uh, they're probably they're probably equal. Uh, I like yeah. being in the field a lot, and uh, yeah. I'm in the field as often as I can. Uh, the bad thing about being a keeper is it, it like right now I'm having to stay home because I've got all my eggs laying, being laid right now and uh, oh. can't can't leave them behind for very long. Oh, okay. Yeah. I hear that. Okay. So I guess we'll start with the, the thing. I mean, what got you into reptiles and field herping and all that? We'll start there at the beginning. I guess I'd call myself an F1 uh, herper because <laughs> uh, – my dad was uh, started this back in the '60s. He's um, he told me the other day, uh, just a couple of days ago, that he'd been doing this for 60 years now. And so, um, wow, yeah, he's he started doing this. He started out playing with rattlesnakes and stuff, and then uh, started going out to West Texas Lane Tree area in the late '60s, and. Uh, he, uh, he had a reptile exhibit right across the street from the Judge Roy Bean Visitor Center. Uh, you go to Langtree on the Loop, actually in town. Uh, they've got the Judge Roy Bean Visitor Center still. I uh, used to have a lot more stuff there, but uh, I literally grew up in Langtree. We would go on the weekends, go check it out. He had somebody that stayed there all the time that ran his exhibit. But uh, we would go out, give us a good excuse to go and check it out on things. And uh, um I'd go, I'd go mess around while they're doing the snakes in there. I'd go chase, chase lizards all day uh, and, bug, <laughs> and bug, bug the people over at the visitor center. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, he kept, uh, he, I've been around snakes my whole life. And, you know, he had his exhibit there and he had uh, a good collection at my, uh, at our house as well. So uh, we always had people, he had a, I guess a, before they had, um, I guess they might've had herp societies that time, but I didn't know about them, but he had what he called a snake club. So all the people in the area that liked snakes would come over and meet and talk about snakes and, uh, check them out and bring stuff over. And I'd be hanging out in there as a little kid, uh, just try asking lots of questions and probably bugging everybody. That's awesome. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Good, Rob. Uh, no, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Um, that that's very good. So what what was your first uh reptile that then kind of was in your care? 
Uh, my very first one that was my snake was a uh, Burmese python. I had a little. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness! I think of, we're kindred souls, <laughs> man. I think. I think. <laughs> uh, I uh, its name was Spot, and I had it in my own room, and. Uh, so one of the guys that came, I don't remember who it was that came over and gave it to me, but one of the guys that came over to one of the snake club meetings was over there. And I said, oh, that's cool. And he goes, well, you want one? I said, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I had it and uh, I actually had it out of my desk and I was tracing around its head and drawing it. Uh, <laughs> and I, I don't remember exactly what happened. My mom called me or something and I left it out and came back and it was gone. And so my my Burmese was out and about in the house for uh, quite some time. And then I found, I found a shed skin one day and so I knew it was still around somewhere. And then I found it up in my closet crawling through my hangers. Uh, so I, I recaptured Spot and I don't even remember what I did with Spot. I think I traded him off or something else. And But that was my very first uh, snake that was mine. That's fantastic. Yeah, Eric's dad was also into reptiles, and I know Eric was big yeah. in firm. So, yeah, he's totally right. That they, you know, all this crossover stuff. Yeah, 100%. It's like the go-to uh, snake of the 80s, right? I mean. <laughs> yeah, I had a couple of big berms in the 80s. Um, and then, uh, yeah, they they take up a lot of room. They eat a lot. and uh, They're a mess to clean up, and but uh, they're cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my my stuff now doesn't take up near as much room. Okay. Yeah. So what I guess what yeah, let's let's get into Alterna. Like what led you to do get into that? Is that specifically what you work with, Alterna, as far as King Snakes go or primarily, yes. Um yeah. my dad, once again, my dad was catching Alterna back in Langtree uh in the early seventies. Uh, he was, if he wasn't the first person to do it, he was one of the first people to captive breed, uh, Alterna back, I think in 74. Um, it was a, to the point whenever I was a kid, I, he had a lot of Lane Tree Alterna and they all kind of looked the same. Uh, so he, I just kind of got tired of looking at them, you know, he, they'd hatch out and they, they all look kind of <laughs> the same. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I was more into lizards and stuff back in those days. And. Um, but yeah, I've been all around alternative forever, you know, and then, uh, you know, they, they had all the, they passed the laws to protect them and that was kind of a mess. And, um, and it's, so it kind of got out of them and then I got back into them, uh, in the late eighties. Um, and when I started keeping them on my own and, uh, and kept them ever since. Yeah, I'm always curious about the the locality part of it because of a couple of reasons. One, it always stands out to me that, you know, as being a Python guy, we sometimes talk about like locality stuff and, you know, it, you can't really know if this is a legit locality or not. But here with something that we can go and collect in the U.S. and know exactly where you got it from, you know, that seems to be like one of the draws to alterna and i guess i would say i i mean maybe i'm wrong but it seems like the alterna community seems to be the most um what's the word uh not obsessed or not, not you know not in a bad way but like you know they, they really take that yeah <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> yeah uh, well you know the 
when my dad was doing it back in the seventies, it really wasn't a thing. You know, you, you took two pretty ones, you put them together and you made babies. <laughs> um, right. and most of his were locality because he just hunted around Langtree for the most part. Um, right. and, and hunters, I think most of the hunters then didn't spread out much. They had a spot they liked to hunt and they hunted around that area. And that's just kind of, and there weren't as many spots back then that they were known to be. And so, you know, you pretty much had people collecting around Langtree and you had people on the river road and that's about it. Um, and so now you've got, you know, the localities and it's kind of a double-edged sword because like you said, with the pythons, you don't really know, what locality they're from yes you know you got to you got there's a lot of trust in the um um you know the alterna uh circles and uh there's not many people that i would trust 100 percent on yeah this snake is you know pure locality and some people are more particular about what a locality is uh than others i'm i'm very very particular uh, I don't know anybody that's more particular than I am, actually. Uh, <laughs> and and I've been very fortunate to be able to pair stuff up. And that's what happens is you get something and you don't have it paired up. And you're like, man, I, I got, I'd like to breed this. And, you know, I got this one from over here. It's kind of close. And they breed. And then they somebody gets it and they say, well, the mom was from here. Okay, so it's this locality. And then and it, and after several generations, that kind of gets lost. And that's why everybody wants F1s, you know, in, in uh, the local, in the uh, alternative world, seems like, uh, because once you get past that, you tend not to uh, maybe trust as much that it is a pure locality snake. 100%. Gotcha. And to your kind of moving away or potentially moving away from the wild phenotype, right? It's all the gene, even, even if it is legitimate and say something you collected and then, but by the time you're on F3 or F4, your own hand has played a big role in what those offspring are going to look like. It's, it's all from that population, but it's not necessarily going to look quite the same as something that you might pull today or it could, but for the most part. Yeah. And, you know, I've had this discussion with some people and, and I'm guilty of it as well. I try not to be. Um, but yeah, you are doing selective breeding. Uh, yeah, you, you're going to, I try to keep phenotypes that look as much like the parents as possible. But then something really cool pops up and say, oh man, I, that is awesome. And so, you know, it's in the, those genes are in the population. It could popped up and there were two wild caught snakes. And 100%. then you keep that one and you kind of, well, and it's it's evident in a lot of people's lines or so, people's stock. Um, either they just happen to catch one that ex, uh, expressed a certain phenotype and they really went with that, or they lucked into a really weird one and they thought it was cool and they bred for that that phenotype. And uh, and it's it's evident in a lot of stuff, especially a lot of the black gap stuff uh, when you look at. Uh, um, Dan Johnson did a lot with a black gap, uh, alterna and, um, and he really liked speckled snakes. And so when you look at majority's black gap out here that people are, are selling, a lot of them are speckled. And I think, I think people think they're going to go down to black gap and catch them a speckled, uh, alterna. And that's probably not going to happen. It's probably going to be an ugly, lantry-looking snake <laughs> that you find down there. <laughs> uh, but but you're right. I mean, it, you, you're skewed. Uh, I have one locality that's kind of like that with my uh, Olympia Canyon stock. 
they're really, really nice. They're not, I had a, a outstanding male and it was the only male I had for a while. So I'm bringing him to all my females and he had lots of orange. It was really clean orange. Um, and so I've got stuff with orange and very uh, ornate alternates and everything. And that's, that's really not what you're probably going to find out there when you, if you look into Olympia Canyon snake. Gotcha. Is the, is the phenotype for the localities pretty much is pretty consistent or is it, I mean, can you look at a, you know, a, at a, sp a specific uh, locality and know exactly where it's from or is that uh, become kind of. Uh, <laughs> if I say a Walcott snake, uh, I can, I can narrow it down pretty close to where it's from and I can mm -hmm. certainly tell you where it's not from. Uh, <laughs> okay. But when, when you get into several generations uh, of, you know, selective breeding, it, it gets a lot harder. Um, you know, you got your east look and you've got your west look. Uh, Davis have a, a specific look. And, of course, you know, your Wacos. And um, it, it pretty, it's pretty much determined on the, the primary rock formations there, whether it's limestone, mm -hmm. igneous, um, what have you. Um, and you know they, they try to match a background color best they can or um right and i think i heard you guys talking the other day about uh, uh your baby pythons and the coloration of them uh with the bright yeah. colors but uh like the reds and oranges you know, and because of the the rod cells and cone cells the cone cells are the ones that detect color and things that are nocturnal hunters either have very reduced cone cells or no cone cells so they're not seeing the colors and those bright colors like oranges just fade to a different shade of gray in low light and um, gotcha. it helps it helps them um uh, with their uh, blending in with the the backgrounds uh, also you've got and i don't know if it's i think people uh, throw around the term mimicry too much uh but you mm -hmm. have uh snakes that inhabit the same habitats, they're going to evolve similar traits. And so when you look at some of the Eastern more localities, uh, they tend to look more like, you know, the alternomorphs would look more like uh, maybe the rock rattlesnakes that are found there, or they would look like mm -hmm. even uh, pictogaster that are there versus the Western localities that uh, might look like a trimorphodon or, or something else like that. Uh, because they inhabit the same areas, and the the cleaner, you know, the, the type of rock and how it fractures you in that limestone, it fractures the very very clean and sharp lines, and so the snakes from limestones tend to have cleaner bands. Um, the ones from the that, you know, the igneous that fracture kind of in jagged areas might have look kind of you have like you have pinking shears sometimes on their um, uh, bands, and then you a lot of lot more of the alternates and speckling and things like that so uh, a lot of that drives uh, the natural selection process awesome very cool so maybe we can uh, you know i think when you're herping any species the natural history really comes into play so like maybe we could talk a little bit about like you know where where are you the, you know i know in the cuts they're in the cuts are they hiding during the day or you know what where you where do you find these guys typically well, cuts just are easy to hunt. Uh, it's it's right. not that they're 
there's more there, but it's it's clean. You don't have a lot of vegetation. Um, you're, you know, they're fossorial snakes, so they're living underground anyway in those cracks and crevices and you blast through. And so you're cutting into the side of their habitat more than anything. They also kind of work like a big drift fence too. So they hit the bottom of it, they kind of crawl along and they'll crawl up it and they're exposed and are easy to see. Um, they're, they're certainly easier to find on cuts. Um, not that they're more, uh, plentiful there. They're just easier to find. It's just handy made for us to go out there and find those guys laying up there on those wide open cuts. Yeah. The funny thing about the cuts, like when, before we went, Rob was trying to explain it to me, uh, you know, again, I'm coming from like the Python world where, you know, it's in a tropical jungle or it's in a desert or something like that. And like, he's telling me, it's like, they just like, just like, bulldozed right through the earth and they just made a road <laughs> and i'm just like what and to, when i got there i'm like holy shit yeah that's pretty much right all right okay yeah that is and and you know you can find them, you can find them on top on of the cuts you can find them on the side you find them at the bottom um right you know you don't you don't just find them stuck to the side all the time and a lot of people that's where they tend to to look but uh if it's clear enough on top, and then when you get in some of those eastern localities, you know, and, and uh, Terrell and Valverde counties, uh, you, most of those you can walk on top okay. There's a lot of lechuga up there, and if you don't know what that is, you'll you'll find out pretty quickly when you walk the top of those cuts. Uh, they're uh, an agave, and they're very sharp, and they, the spikes are about calf high, and uh, they they don't feel very good when you you catch them. Yeah, um, I think we caught a few of those uh, in September, Eric. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I was going to say, I kind of remember them. Yeah, and and the tops of the cuts are, you know, you have more vegetation and more places for the snakes to hide. But um, I like looking at the tops because uh, I'm not, I get tired just staring at bare limestone. Um, you know, then ideally you can get down to the canyons and walk those, but the canyons get really thick and they're hard. You know, of course, you have to have access first and then. If you get into the canyons, they're really thick um, with vegetation. Everything out there has thorns. Um, you, you're going to get cut up. And it's harder to see the animals because there's more place for them to hide. Uh, but they live, you know, they live in those canyons uh, further east. And then as you get further west, uh, some of those areas, you don't realize how much rock is out there when you get in some of those grasslands uh, until you have like a, a fire. And then you look, there was a big fire uh, in Alpine, uh, all through the, actually all through the Davis Mountains. Uh, I don't remember what year it was, but it's been, I don't know, eight, 10 years ago. And you look out there and the, what was, you just thought was grasslands. And here, you know, you have a fire, you see dirt there, you had a fire and you see just rock solid. And so you find some in areas that you don't expect to find them. You know, you say, oh, I got to go find some cuts. And sometimes they're in areas where there's, not any cuts because they're still living under the ground. Uh, they may not as high, have as high population density, but they're still could be there. It's harder to target them um, because you you know walk the side of the road and it's <laughs> there's not much to look at. But the, you can find a lot of them just walking the side of the road and they'll crawl along the edge of that highway. It's kind of funny. Uh, back um, when my dad was first started doing this in the '70s, and when I ride ride along with him. We never looked on cuts. It was all on the highway and on the, the dirt roads. Uh, really? Yeah, we we never looked at the cuts at all. And he found 
I don't know, lots <laughs> on the highway. <laughs> uh, now the highways were made of, they were, they were constructed differently. Then they had a gravel shoulder and then they had the asphalt. I don't think the asphalt uses much of the petroleum products and stuff at that time, maybe a lot more concrete based, but he would always tell me, he said, you know, they're hardly ever out here on the road. You look over here on the shoulder and the shoulder was not like our shoulder. Now we have improved shoulder. Then it was just gravel. And they would just lay that that gravel and just sit there and they wouldn't get out there on the road. I really think that's why we don't see quite as many being uh, found off the road other than it's illegal. But uh, that's not stopping a lot of people from doing it. Um, (laughs) But even before it was illegal, uh, there weren't nearly as many found off the road as there were back before they started changing the way they made roads. And I don't know how much of that is because of the construction of the road, how much of it is hunting bias now because everybody wants to hit the cuts. Um, but I think there's gotta be something to it. I mean, petroleum products, you know, they gas rattlesnake dens, they, they pump that down in there and they crawl out because they don't like the smell of it. I couldn't imagine the snake liking the smell of uh, fresh asphalt, especially. Um, so I don't think they hang out there as long. They make, you know, they still crawl across it, but they would just sit on that shoulder of the road and now I think they still um, sit off the improved shoulder, but it's so hard to see over there. Uh, I know lots of people have seen, found them crawling right down the edge of that of the road that way, which is a boring way to hunt, but you know it can be effective. That's super interesting. Hmm. I know when we were in. Uh... The Northern Territory, you know, just this all this conversation about the makeup, the constitution of the road in the Northern Territory of Australia, there's something about those roads. And I think it's because it floods regularly. They're made of some different composition, some you know different material. But if they only have a little bit of water, man, they're super slick, as Eric can attest. Um, but they... Uh, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. It, it's, it's super interesting to think about like what the road looks like in Pennsylvania versus Colorado versus a lot of the Texas roads. And then if you're looking at 90 versus really 118 or 17, they seem to be made of different stuff. Yeah. Certainly the age of the road uh, comes into play. Uh, I know that we used to have access to, we called it old 90. They came back and they made the highway 90, they blasted through more cuts and what have you. And they made a new road. And a lot of that, you can still see remnants of it. Uh, it is reverted back to the ranchers that own the, the land. So there's fences, you can't get to it. Uh, but there was a time where both highways, when I was quite a bit younger, both highways were available and we'd cruise down the old highway. Uh, one, you didn't have traffic. And two, we found a lot more snakes. Um, and, you know, I don't know how much of that had to do with, um, uh, the, the road material, but I think there's, there's something probably to that. Um, and you guys going to Australia, that's, that's makes me jealous too. So, uh, one of these days, one of these days. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, the good news is at least, well, the making the best of the bad situation, right. Is that we're kind of, uh, stuck in the U S more or less. I think there's, uh, folks are getting out and all, but certainly uh, Australia being an island, I think they're set to to keep everybody out through maybe to the back half of next year even. I can't say I can say that I blame them. Uh, there's a lot yeah. of cool stuff here, though, in the United States as well. It's I don't even get to do as much here as I'd like to do. Uh, 
but I, like I said, I've always spent most of my time out in West Texas. It's just where I like to go the best. I think since we have uh, Justin in the in the chat, that we should probably ask the the question that Rob had: If you found, um, you know, bears or subox or lepidus, um, anything like that in your herping oh. travels? Oh yeah, lots, lots of all of the above. Um, <laughs> I've spent a lot of time out there, so uh, uh, yeah, I found I've found everything out there. Um, as far as um, subox, subox are are uh, easy to find, really, um, if you go to the right spots. Now the problem is if you're when you go out there, you can't target everything because there's no. Yes, there's places you can go and find everything, but your the likelihood of you finding these snakes um, diminishes greatly in certain areas. Uh, you can find um, you can find subox in the Davis Mountains. Now they're tough, but you can find them. Um, but you go down the River Road or Black Gap or something like that. Subox are pretty common, but alterna are not. So it depends on. What, and most people go out there and they're they're targeting alterna. Um, now some of your Eastern localities, you know, Sanderson's, um, your Valverde counties stuff, um, is probably your best bet to be able to find both Subox and Alterna, uh, with, with fairly equal probability. Um, and then you have kind of an inverse relationship once you get away from there and you go further West, you're either going to be in the fringe area, uh, for the Subox, which you find lots of box and very few alterna or you go in the areas further in if you can get up like in the davis or something where you find more alterna and fewer much fewer subox um lepidus are another one uh of course the lepidus are extremely uh variable out there because probably even more so than the alterna um with their background color whether they're in limestone or you're getting that igneous um you can get some that are almost chalk white in the further eastern localities. Um, you get up in the Davis and stuff, and you get some that are kind of pinks and uh, browns and and almost a reddish color. Um, same thing with the the banding. It's you get a lot more um, busy type patterns in the western localities than you do the eastern. The eastern you get these big nice bands a lot of times, even though they're called model rock rattlesnakes or used to be. Uh, they a lot of them have really nice clean bands when you go further east. And lepids are ones that um, I found my first lepidus when I think I think I was eight or nine uh, when I found my first one. Um, yeah, that one that you're looking at uh, the upper right hand corner is a is a nice eastern locality. Uh, all those ones over there are eastern locality lepidus. None of and of course you've got some clobber eye in there too. Um, which you, we have clobber in Texas. You have to go out there to El Paso to the Franklins. And I don't know if you guys are planning on, on going that far west or not. Um, y'all going, you just going to go wherever. Yeah. And well, not this time. Yeah. That's, that gets into a whole funny bit out of that. We learned out of going to Australia is trying to, to have a plan. Not so much as a, we have to stick to this. This is the, the, the strict schedule, but never winding up in a spot where it's, uh, we're all looking at each other. What are we going to do sort of deal? So we try and try and plan it out and have a, have a good plan. We're basically just going, um, not going to be much further than the Davis stuff, you know, and then maybe go up to the other side of that with, 
Kent and the Boy Scout and that. That's okay. about the extent of it. Yeah. Um, and then how far east are you guys going to be? So we're doing the, um, we're spending some time out, uh, basically Kickapoo, Brackettville, and mm-hmm. then we'll be a little further um, east from there on the last night, kind of getting us closer to being the airport and stuff. Y'all c- coming in, flying in San Antonio? Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, when you're in the further, you talk, ask about Baird's too, I think. And um, Yeah, 100%. Yeah. We, one of the guys going on the trip <laughs> yeah. loves, you know, Baird's are his favorite snake. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> This this time of year, uh, I would say your best bets are your further east localities. And then when I say further east, kind of over there where you guys are talking about, uh, the Kickboot Caverns area, uh, Brackettville, uh, some of that uh, Edwards Plateau stuff. Uh, there's areas there that they're fairly common. Uh, best time to catch bears is, is in the fall when your hatchlings are out crawling, though. Uh, adults, you don't find them quite as often. I know people that have never found a bear. It's, and it blows my mind uh, that, that they haven't. But I don't find many selenops, and I know people that find selenops all the time. So, um, yeah, I guess it's just hunting bias. Uh, but the bears, you know, they kind of hit or miss. They're everywhere out there. Um, just sometimes you find them, and find, sometimes you don't. Up in the Davis, they're really common. Um, got a little bit different look. I don't know what. You, you know, some people really like the Davis ones. They're really dark. Uh, I kind of prefer the ones further east, the lighter, the grays and stuff like that, and which are harder to find. Uh, but there's spots, like I said, where you're staying is a pretty decent spot for those uh, to find some bears. Um, Lepidus are kind of hit or miss, you know, uh, get up in the cuts, uh, walk in the cuts. Um, up on top is a good way to find Lepidus. Um, they don't. Not saying you can't find them on the side of the cut because you can, uh, but they tend to be at the bottom. They're not as good a climber as all turn on. They'll be at the bottom, be at the top, and you can walk those early mornings too, uh, which is you know when they're getting out there before it gets too hot, um, and you can find those out cold up and and basking maybe just sticking their head out uh, underneath rocks. Um, there's times that we found a lot out out walking in the mornings. My dad used to do it all the time. I never did like to get up, but he'd get up and go out and walk up four or five Lepidus in the mornings. And, and I'd be mad that I didn't get up. But uh, uh, but if you get up, it's hard to get up whenever you're, you're hunting all night. Uh, no sleep for the weary. That's right. You, get, <laughs> you, you can't find them at the hotel room. So That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what else you got? And what else was Lepidus, Bairds? What else was said there? Was picked a gas Oh, yeah. I don't and, know. And, no, no, no. Yeah, that's certainly one that we love to see. I mean, they look spectacular. You know, that especially yeah. that, uh, the real, you know, it seems like there's some real colorful ones out that way. Yeah, picked gas are beautiful. Um, that's one that uh, with lots of rain, we've had lots of rain. Um, so that's that's really good for Pictogaster. Um, getting around areas that are lower lying, you know, canyon types, uh, areas, you can find good numbers of them. Uh, there's some places just have a lot. Some places are pretty hard to come by. Uh, some way you had this, I had this discussion with somebody else the other day and they never find pixie gasters. And, uh, there's places, you know, that I go and I'll find five, six, seven in a night. And, uh, 
but then if it's dry, you're just probably not going to find pig gaster. But it's it's good and wet, so uh, that's good. Good chances. Oh yeah, that's another one. The liar snake. Yeah. What about those? Well, where y'all are going, you're probably not, you're not going to find any liars. Um, liars are a really weird snake. When they crawl, they crawl like crazy, and I, I don't know exactly what it is that that. Uh, entices them to move, but uh, you know, when some, one person finds a liar, you usually have two or three people that find them. Uh, but then you'll go a long time. I went a long time before I found my first liar, um, and I haven't found a ton. I think I found six liar snakes. So uh, odds of coming across one are pretty slim, uh, and you got to be uh, far west or far southwest. About the far east as you can find them is Black Gap, and they're pretty rare at Black Gap. Um, they're as rare as alternate are at Black Gap, and that's pretty rare. Um, some people would say they're more rare than alternate there. Uh, I found more, I found more trimorphinon than I have alternate Black Gap. Uh, Christmas, River Road, and then you get further west and way further than what you guys are going to be. Right on. Yeah, we're going to go down to the state park and the in the national park and stuff and do a little bit of that. It just seems like, uh, and there this brings up a whole nother another point, but we'll stick here for a second. Is um, the I love both those parks for the hikes. They're fantastic. Uh, so we'll be down there a little bit on um, you know um, to try and do that. And certainly we did it last time. We didn't uh, uh, the weather. Um, didn't help us a ton. I think, I think it could have been good, but it just didn't quite work. It crushed it with some rain in the late afternoon and it just got really cold, but that man, that the WMA spot is just, it was so cool to go out there and walk around and do all that hiking and stuff. And it was, yeah. I can see how stuff's hard to find, but it's certainly a beautiful spot. Yeah. If you're in, if you're down black gap in the wildlife management area, first of all, you have to have a, uh, a permit to be out there. So make sure you're permitted. Uh, to be off the road, you have to have either a limited use permit if you're just going to be hiking and stuff, which is what you guys are going to do. I think it's 11 bucks, something like that. Well, it is. I don't know about out of state. That's what it cost me is 11 bucks. And then you can go back there and you can camp and, and hike and take pictures of stuff uh, off the main road. Uh, and there's some really cool spots way back in there. It is rough. I don't know how far off the road you guys got, but uh, those roads are rough. Uh, with all the rain, they're going to be washed out, and you're going to be in a rental car, I guess. Um, uh, unless you've got a Jeep, and if you have a Jeep, it may not be the wisest decision to try to get too far back in there. Um, yeah, but you can park a lot of the, the areas along the road and hike the side canyons. You can get lost in there, too, because those canyons start wrapping around, and, and you have no idea where you're at. Um, but, yeah, and it gets hot. And, you know, it, it's been really cool out there, but Black Gap is one of the hottest places in the country. It gets crazy hot and you can get back there and die. But uh, right now, I don't think it's it's I don't think you're in a lot of danger of that right now because of the it's been pretty cool. Um, and you guys hiked up in Big Bend National Park, right? Last time. Yeah. Yep. They're yep. in the state park both. Yeah. 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 Great That's hikes cool. in there. Uh, what hikes did you guys do last time? I take it y'all did uh, Boulder Meadow, and uh, based on pictures, it looked like y'all did Boulder, Boulder Meadow and uh, up in that area. So we did, yeah, in the National Park, we did the Lost Mine, and then um, off, 
yeah, off that center bit. And then we, we did the one that's like Dog Canyon or whatever as you're getting or, out, you know, into the flatland stuff uh, to the east from there when you take the east road off of that. So we weren't weren't there a ton, but we got up in the in the Chizo spot. And then at uh, the state park, we went to Rancherius West and what we didn't do hoodoos. We did Lost Canyon uh, last time. We had a, this will be a longer trip. So I'm excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. It uh, depends on where you're hiking in the, in the park. Um, and you gotta be really, really careful in there. Cause they, um, uh, they're not herper friendly in the park. They think everybody that's out there is out there to po- uh, poach snakes. And, um, they used to have a pamphlet that came that they, that you could buy at the, and they may still have them there at the visitor center. And it said a great way to observe reptiles to drive around at night with your lights and look at them. And now if you do that, you're going to, they're going to, they're going to arrest you if you do that. Um, but hiking around, you can see some herps, uh, a lot of herps in, in the park. Um, there's some cool hikes. Um, if you like to get down in the desert and see some of the desert uh, species that you got to go early in the morning. Uh, do you guys go to the uh, hot springs? No, we didn't. Oh, uh, yeah. And I, with all the rain, I don't, well, they're not having rain further west. So they're probably still good. Um, the hot springs are awesome. Um, I mean, they're sulfur springs and they're 106, 107 degrees coming out of the ground. And they got an area chiseled out of the limestone there that you can get down into. When it floods, it fills up with mud and they got to get it out. It's been there for a long time. Uh, but there's a trail that goes along there that will go all the way back down to uh, Real Grand Village. Did y'all go to Real Grand Village? No. Oh, y'all got to go. Y'all got to do that south end stuff. Uh, that, and uh, I'm pretty sure that you can still go over to Boquillas, Mexico, but you have to have a passport to do it now. We used to go across, and uh, I don't know if you guys know who Robert Earl King is. He's a Texas uh, red dirt country singer. And he wrote a song about going across there called Gringo Honeymoon. It's really cool. But you can, and I don't even know how they do it anymore. It's been a long time. They closed the border down after 9-11, right through there. And uh, before that, though, you just go down and you either wait across the river or there's a guy that would take you across on a little boat. And then you could rent burrows or uh, walk to town. Or It's it's an old west town, uh, Boquillas, Mexico. Uh, and you can see it from inside the park. And while they had the border shut down, a lot of Mexicans were coming across and they would like put out little trinkets and stuff along the trail and put a jar out there for you to buy them. Cause that's how they made all their money. Um, which was, and they had the, the national park would have signs, do not buy these. You were breaking the laws and still people still bought them. Um, <laughs> just to support the folks down there, but people would go down there. It was not a legal port of entry. Now it is, but at the time it wasn't. So people would go buy a bunch of booze and carry it across, wouldn't have to pay any kind of uh, tariffs or taxes on it or anything. And, um, and it's cool. So um, I highly recommend if y'all can do that. I, and like I said, I think it's open again, but I haven't done it in a long time. Uh, but that's cool. Uh, it's not herp related, but it's it's cool. Yeah. Go down there, drink, <laughs> drink you some cervezas and, uh, and hang out at the bar. Um, <laughs> But you can go see Boquillas Canyon. So Boquillas Canyon is very impressive. Did y'all do San Elena Canyon? No, we didn't get down that far last time. Oh, no. y'all got to do both of those. Very impressive. We're talking 1,100-foot canyon walls straight up uh, with a real grand cut through there. Very impressive. 
Uh, now, both those places are really hot. Uh, so you need to do those early mornings, uh, which is kind of hard when you're out herping all night. But uh, <laughs> and then you go up to Chiso's in the afternoon whenever the, because uh, you'll be 30 degrees cooler up there at the top of the Chiso's. And yeah, I, I don't know, Rob. This doesn't sound like Chi-Chi's, or is that the one that uh, Justin likes? Is it Chi-Chi? No. What is it? No. He, yeah, Justin wants to stop it. Uh, he he loves uh, Chili's, so we'll have chilies, to hit the Chili's Del Rio <laughs> on the way. <laughs> chili's, that's it. I'm saying yeah, Chi-Chi's. This is a whole lot different than this. This is uh, you're literally in all of West Ham. Uh, it's oh, okay. It's an experience. Um, yeah, and driving down. Um, to cast along uh, that whole drive, you look like you're driving along the surface of the moon or something. There's just no vegetation. And you're thinking to yourself, man, nothing could live out here. And then you drive through there at night and there's stuff everywhere. Um, you know, all kind of, of life out through there. Lots of cool. There's more hikes than you could possibly ever do just in Big Bend National Park. Uh, I've done most of them. Um, now the state park, I have not done many of those hikes because I've spent most of the time in the national park. Um, gotcha. but there's lots of cool stuff to do there. Definitely need to see, see one of those two canyons, either Boquillas Canyon or Santa, Santa Lima Canyon for sure. Gotcha. You know, I, one of the questions that Rob had and, you know, is, uh, being again, coming from the Python thing, the one locality of Alterna that I hear about all the time is Black Gap. But like you're saying that you can't really find them there that easy, Alterna. Um, but you see them a lot in captivity. So does that success uh, with the Black Gap animals leave a, uh, a false conception of the ease of finding them out in the wild? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> it's, uh, they're, they're, they're really tough. Now, I, like I said, I like to... I'm kind of an all-around naturalist. I like plants and uh, birds and insects and a little bit of everything. So, um, and there's a lot of diversity there at Black Gap. And some people don't care about any of that stuff. They just want to see snakes. And there's snakes there. You know, you go down Black Gap and, and now it seems like there's more and more people that just want to go see snakes. Well, uh, yeah, you'll see snakes. It's, it's a good place, but it's the same snakes you can find in a lot of other areas. If you're just driving out in the flats, um, right. you know, you don't, you know, things like Alterna rock rattlers. I have seen one. Rock, I, I've, I don't even know. How, I don't, this may seem like an exaggeration. It is not. I've hunted black gap a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Easily 200 nights, probably a lot more than that. Uh, I found two alternate in that time. Oh, wow. Wow. One, one Lepidus, one Selenops, one Splendida, and three Trimorphodon. And those are the big, and one pick, or two Pictogaster. So those are kind of the big ones that people are targeting. Now, Sabox, yeah, I found hundreds of Sabox. Um, but the other stuff, you, you just don't find it down there. It's tough. Um, now, granted, a lot of those nights were in less than optimal conditions. I spent a lot of time down there in the drought, which was not the best plan, but I just like going out there. Um, it is a deal where I like being out there, whether I'm finding snakes or not. So I'm uh, checking right. out the plants or uh, the geology there is. If you're into geology, it's as cool of a geological place. It's called Black Gap because there's a big igneous intrusion there. And if you look at satellite maps, you got this black igneous rock 
coming out and you've got that Bokeas limestone down there. And then you've got a lot of alluvium uh, that's washed out of the uh, mountains, out of the, out of the park. And so you get, because you have so much geological uh, variation, it gives you a lot of variation, the phenotypes of the black gap snakes. And that's why I love them because there's no telling what's going to pop out when I breed these. Um, right. With the success you know, Dan Johnson, uh, going back to Dan, you know, he, he was the first one to really start breeding those things and everybody that had them kind of send them to Dan. So, and Dan caught quite a few for black gap. I don't remember how many he caught five or six. Um, but he lived down there for a couple of years and was hunting every night, uh, and back on private land and everything else. It's not accessible anymore. Um, and he would, and everybody would send him their snakes on breeding loan. And so he produced lots and lots and he's got a, a website. You can go back and look at, he did a great job keeping records. And, and, uh, and now he definitely had his preferences, like I said earlier for the speckled, uh, really busy snakes. And so a lot of his, that he kept back his breeders were speckled. And so that's what led to a lot of the ones that you see out there. And then, uh, I was fortunate enough to, to get a, uh, adult female or uh, I would call it as baby but I got a female raised it up and and same thing I had people sending me and then I had someone else give me a, a female that that he had caught so I had two wild caught females I had other people sending me their males on breeding loans so I've got a lot of genetic diversity all of mine are from right at the headquarters cut and the some people think oh headquarters cut's a great place to catch them well no that's just where I that's the only place I hunted I just, I just, I would walk back and forth in that stretch of road every night for nights and nights and nights and nights. Uh, and you, you like staring at it and it's dirt and, you know, it doesn't even look, most of it is dirt, you know, it's, so it's not something that most people think would be a good cut and, and it's really not, you know, you don't see many snakes on it. Um, but I've, the best snake I've ever found was there. Um, an exceptional animal. Um, and so I've, I produced a lot and then the people, and they're, they're pretty, uh, at least the ones I produced. And I think the, I never had any of the ones from Dan stop, but evidently they are too, are really hardy. A lot of the stuff down there at the gap are just loaded with parasites. And so if you get adults and bring them home, uh, they don't do that well. And I guess just having to be that tough, uh, with the mm -hmm. harsh environment, um, and, you know, and then in captivity, they don't have those harsh conditions. They thrive. So mine do great. And they're, for the most part, they're great pinky eaters, which is not the case with all the localities I have. Um, <laughs> right. And they, um, they breed consistently. Um, and I've produced a bunch from there also. Uh, so most of the ones you see are either going to, uh, primarily from Dan Johnson's stock somewhere or probably from my mm -hmm. stock somewhere. And there's some other people that have bred some, but, um, that's where most of them have come from origin where they originated and all mine are exactly locality matched. Uh, either the ones I caught or they've been sent to me on loan are all from that, that less than a mile stretch of road. Yeah, we definitely wow. checked that, that spot out, you know, in September, I think the, the real trip of that, right. Is then it's either there, it's somewhere along that stretch that if you then get slightly further West, you look over and there's a little bit of a chasm going on. Uh, yeah, there is. I mean, you've got, um, 
well, it's really right there at the headquarters. You know, if, if you have the permit and you can go back out there on the road, there's an area there where one side of the road is limestone. The other side of the road, the little dirt road is igneous. Uh, but there are canyons all throughout there. Um, and so you, there's just usually not much water. Um, yeah. And, and so you, the animals like the water. <laughs> so they, they need to have some. Uh, so that's when you have rains and you haven't had rains in a while, there's toads everywhere. Uh, for, uh, a friend of mine found an albino narrowmouth toad on that road uh, many years ago, um, which was kind of cool, which I may have ran, drove past a million of them. I never did stop for them, but they, they were like stopping for all the toads. Uh, found one. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a neat place. If you like the things that I like, if you're just going down there to find snakes, it is not a, when I say that, you know, you like going to find atrox and long nose and uh, think same things you can find everywhere else out in the fringe areas. And hey, that's great. But, um, and some nights you don't see that. Uh, the the uh, last alternative we found out there, uh, I was out there for seven or eight days straight. And in that stretch of time, at Black App, I saw one snake. As an alternative, but I saw one snake. And it's, it's hard for most people to stay stay focused that long when you're not seeing anything. Uh, but there's other times you find a lot of stuff when you cruise the road. Uh, a lot of hipsalina, you know. Um, hips and are very common there, uh, as they are on River Road and stuff. And, and hips and are kind of cool looking snakes. You know, it, it's, you, know, you see thousands of them, they, they're not as, as cool anymore, but <laughs> they're <laughs> they are cool, uh, and you can find them there. Yeah, we right. saw one on River Road, and I think that was Eric's favorite snake of the trip. Yeah, oh, the nights, yeah, I love that snake. I don't know, <laughs> I just don't know why, but I well, because they're cool looking, thing. yeah, they got those, yeah, man. real sweet vertical pupils, and uh, I mean, they're rear fanged, um, yeah, and um, yeah, Nipper told me that I, I didn't realize that. <laughs> well, I don't know, he might have been bitten by one, but uh, I think it would right. take a lot to get venomated, uh, right. But they're yeah they're cool snakes and they can get decent size. Most of the ones you see are tiny. Uh, yeah, but I've seen some big ones yeah. out there too. And if you they're they're pretty rare up in Davis, but I found them up there that are red, and those are really cool looking. But they're oh, wow. also very very uncommon up there. Uh, I think there's a red one in the Snakes of Texas book because I was looking at that and it was like kind of I think the the one that's in there is uh, uh, is red. I was like wow okay. I need to see one of those. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm I'm curious with like, you know, all the herping you did and keeping the snakes and whatever, has your as, as being student of the serpent uh, you know, podcast, it would be silly not to ask, is has your keeping evolved from from being able to spend so much time in the field? And if so, how so? And I don't know. What's your experience? Uh, there? Yeah, I've I've kept yeah, I, I, there was times um when I was younger, I kept a little bit of everything, mm-hmm. um, which was cool. Uh, and I like all kinds of snakes, but now I, I just don't keep, yeah, I just can't keep everything. I've got too many snakes probably now already, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but they're mostly, that pain. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're mostly gray banded king snakes and then hog nose. Um, and then I do a few, uh, 
few locality getula. Um, but that's that's all I'm keeping right now. Uh, it's not that I don't like other snakes that I do. I actually like lizards a whole lot, but they're a bigger pain to keep uh, for yep. me. Um, so I like seeing them and catching them, but I don't I don't keep any lizards. I have before. Uh, so, yeah, it's changed a lot. Um, I've kept just about everything over the years. Like, like I said, my dad was a big hot guy. He still has hots. Um, mm. He has a nice collection of uh, lepidus, uh, mostly via me because he doesn't get out that much anymore. He's, um, he, he doesn't get around as well as he used to and he's getting on up there. And so he, he still likes to keep, so I'll catch him lepidus here and there. Um, he's got some other pots, some speckles and, um, Oh, cool. And tigers and, um, all rattlesnakes is his thing. Uh, my wife is, she didn't like having the hots here around the kids. So, uh, (laughs) so I, I I kind of keep them vicariously through my dad. Um, but I, I rarely, you know, catch much anymore. I I catch it, photograph it, release it. Um, you know, I'm targeting alternate and hog nose, uh, when I'm out. What about even the style of your keeping? Have you learned about like, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe some way that you kept them, you know, how we all evolve with our keeping and whatnot, but like, uh, oh, know, husbandry? That, yeah, husbandry, yeah, husbandry wise. Yeah. It's changed a lot. Uh, yeah. You know, when I was, and my dad bred quite a few alternative, um, and it's, it's, but all his, for the most part, wild caught snakes, he wasn't raising babies up and, um, and to adulthood and then breeding them. And so he had, ways that he would um like he would cool his snakes with put ice jugs he kept his snakes in in big you know he was my dad's a craftsman or was when he was younger and he built all his own cages and he had these big fancy cages and stuff out of wood which is were were a pain to clean um he would keep his snakes on potting soil his alternative potting soil um he uh he would cool them with literally put gallon jugs of ice in their cage and change those out every day. So he had our freezer full of, he had a deep freeze full of ice jugs and he would swap those out to cool them. Um, and, uh, and he was pretty successful that way, but that's a lot of work, especially if you have, and I've got more, a lot more snakes than he had been as far right. as Alterna. Um, problem things with Alterna, um, uh, they're they're king snakes they have leaky skin um i know they're found in the desert but you know so are gila monsters and things like that that were you know evolved in a wetter climate and so they need the moisture and that's why they stay underground uh, um, their skin has issues if you don't give them some kind of of moist hide and i say moist i, start, I started using just a couple of years ago uh i started using uh, the, the coconut husk, um, for their hide. Um, and then, uh, I keep aspen and then I put paper towels on top of that because I don't want them to ingest the aspen. The aspen is just to absorb any extra, uh, fecal matter and things like that. And so, yeah, I changed that quite a bit. I also changed, uh, how I feed them. 
I try to feed them mice that are not fatty at all. Uh, a lot of the mice that you get in the uh, from breeders and stuff have big, thick layers of fat. Uh, those are terrible to feed to your snakes. Um, I see these people that are keeping Alterna in there, these big chunks of snakes, and that, that's that's terrible. I mean, I, you know, a, a fat person is not healthy. I don't know why people think a fat snake is going to be healthy. Uh, they don't live very long. You know, I've got Alterna that have lived the longest I had. I caught an adult female in 1993. She laid eggs the year I caught her. And she lived until 2014 or 15, I think, in captivity. So, you know, I had her for over 20 years in captivity after she was already an adult. And I've had a lot of them that live 20 plus years. Uh, but I keep them lean so they look mm -hmm. like they would in the wild, like a healthy wild snake. Um, they really need to eat lizards. Um I know people say, well, there's no research saying they have to eat lizards and they eat lizards in the wild. That's especially as a younger snake that makes up the majority of their diet. Um, you know, uh, Alterna is not crawling around and finding a nest of pinky mice uh, very often. Um, and so they're eating small lizards and it's, and it's good for them. You know, they, those lizards are out eating insects and um they're soaking up that vitamin D and the, by being diurnal and being a nocturnal snake, that's really, I think is their source of vitamin D. So I try to supplement at least a little bit with lizards, uh, which is hard. Um, yep. I, I try my best to get, you know, things that are invasive like Mediterranean geckos and brown and knolls and things like that to feed. But uh, if I do uh, feed, uh, you know, wild lizards, I, I take them and I'll, I'll cut them into pieces and I'll supplement with the, uh, the mice that I feed, I may feed them a mouse and a leg from a, a lizard. That way it goes a lot further. They're getting supplementation. Uh, I think that helps a lot in their egg development. Um, I've changed a little bit over the years. I've changed how I incubate the eggs a lot. Um, we used to just take vermiculite and stick them down in that. And we, well, my dad did sand, boy sand, when he first started breeding. And then went from that to vermiculite. And um, now I, uh, I do a vermiculite perlite mix with a, the egg crate material on top to give them more, uh, the eggs breathe a little bit better and, and try to keep them a little bit drier. Um, but yeah, I've changed a lot of things over the years. And little things that I don't even think of when I'm right. telling people, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I've been doing that a long time. I just didn't think to tell you, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty great with the, with the doing them just in vermiculite or when he was doing them in the wet sand uh, this blew my mind i saw some getula that had hatched out and it was like they all you know okay they're sitting there about to hatch and then the next thing you know there are all these empty eggs but there are no hatchlings in the tub and they're all dug down into yeah, the go down. Soft mm -hmm. it, it is bizarre yep um and I, I've got a friend that uh, incubates his still in potting soil, and he'll bury the eggs in potting soil. So I like how you know when they hatch. He goes, ah, I know about when they should hatch. I start digging around in there, and they'll pop up. Uh, but yeah, and something else though with that, the the perlite though is especially as it's it's so coarse. Um, I try to get them out as quickly as possible, so they're not trying to dig around in there and scratching themselves up and. Um, I, I just use it to hold the retain moisture and also retain some heat in there. Um, 
I don't use an incubator as such. I've got a big uh, cabinet that I've got a bunch of shelves on that I put them in. And I keep them at mm, room temperature is, is about 80 degrees in my snake room. So they incubated, you know, around 80. Um, that is the cool thing about North American colubrids. You can kind of just stick them on a shelf and call it a day, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, sometimes. Uh, yeah. Uh, some, sometimes it works well, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, right. You know, whenever I was a kid, we'd just always go in the bedroom closet and we'd stick them up on the top of the closet and just forget about them for, you know, 60 days and come back and say, oh, yeah, here's some snakes. Um, <laughs> And I hatched out pretty much everything local when I was a kid. I'd go find a gra- something gravid. I'd take it home, let it lay eggs, turn it loose, and then hatch them out, whether it be horn lizards or uh, glass lizards. I did a lot of lizards. Um, and then all kinds of different snakes I'd hatched out. And it was just cool to see them hatch. And, yeah. And yes, you know, you keep proper moisture and you just leave them alone. They, they tend to do okay. Yeah. Those wild snakes always rarely do wild snake wild caught gravid snakes eggs go bad almost never it's always the ones that have been captured born and raised because it it is uh, it's because of their diet what they're eating in captivity um i don't know why people think they're smarter than mother nature you know we i try to mimic (laughs) i I, I, you know i I try to mimic this stuff as best i can and uh i see these people say oh you don't want them eating those lizards you don't want them started on lizards blah blah yeah. good you know keep your cages clean um you know freeze them it, it, probably, it may not kill all the parasites everything has some parasites uh it's just we have parasites living in us you know it's uh right um, it's part of it you know if you, if you have a healthy animal and you keep the, the cages clean they do they do fine uh, right uh, i think <laughs> Yeah, that's super interesting. And I think you make uh, a tremendous point just generally that a lot of a lot of the captive alterna that I see, um, particularly not, you know, once wild caught, they just look sloppy and bad. And I'm totally with you that it's from feeding them just too, way too much, too many fatty mice. Yeah, they try to grow them up too fast. And, um, you know, the mice are, like I said, the mice aren't great for them. Um, if, I, if I could get enough geckos and stuff, uh, and I get quite a few, but I would feed, if I could, I'd feed, you know, just geckos for the first couple of years of their life. Because I've had some snakes, if that's all they want to eat for the first couple of years. And you compare them to ones that have been eating mice and they do not look the same. And, you know, not the other ones are fatty because I tr- really try to keep them lean. Uh, but they just have a more muscular look to them. They're just a, they're just a better looking snake. We were uh, talking to Ron St. Pierre a couple weeks ago, and uh, he had mentioned that Pictus geckos are like breed like crazy. And uh, I don't know, <laughs> that may be uh, something I look at for uh, Antaresia, you know, the, all the lizard eating pythons of Australia. So, yeah, that's um, a I'm good cur- idea. Yeah, I'm curious with the feeding. Do you feed a schedule or is there no schedule? Or, like, you know, um, I, that seems to be sort of uh, the biggest problem I see in herpticulture is the overfeeding of snakes just in general, you know? So I'm just curious as, you know, some people well, I, say they don't follow any kind of schedule, but. I, I definitely keep a very strict schedule. Um, I have, um, I'm a school teacher. So I try to, in the wintertime, I enjoy my break of having everything cool down. I cool my stuff down. 
I used to cool my stuff down longer than what I do now. Um, but I've got a guy that buys all my hog nose from me and he wants them early. And so I started bringing my other stuff up a little bit earlier just to appease him. Um, cause he wants them out by the shows and all that. Uh, but I used to keep my stuff down for a long time. And, uh, the, even my babies, all, all my babies, my hatchlings, they, I roommate them as well as, uh, the adults. And, uh, a lot of snakes, a lot of alternative babies, they won't eat in the fall. They hatch out and they just don't want to eat and keep them hydrated, cool them down. They warm back up in the spring and they eat really well. Usually, um, you know, sometimes I might, you know, stick a mouse tail down them or something like that just to make me feel better. Um, but I don't think they eat a whole lot in the, in the, in the fall in the wild. Um, uh, maybe get a gecko, baby gecko or two down them and, and they're usually good and they come out eating like crazy. Um, 100%. you know, the adults, I don't, I feed small meals. Uh, I read a paper, I don't even know what, I can't even reference it right now, but somebody did a study where they uh, they took mice and they would make incisions on the on their back, and that way, you know, the digestive uh, enzymes could get inside there. And I mean, if you think about it, the integumentary system as a protective barrier, uh, and if you have a snake that regurgitates, you know, it's it's the part that's digest that's not digested is the middle. Right. So I started cutting them. Um, and I do this every time I feed, I, I make those incisions. Since I started doing that, I don't I've have very few that have regurgitated, um, almost none. Um, and they don't they they digest more of their food. Um, and so cleaning the cages are easier that way. Um, I don't have to you know, I don't feed them as big a meals. Um, and timing on a lot of this stuff, it it's pretty in, intricate on what I do. A lot of the alternative males just don't, um, they don't eat that well in in the spring when they're, especially my Davis stuff. They just they go on hunger strike because they're thinking about breeding. Uh, my Davis, which is kind of weird, on my walkout Davis stuff, they breed really early uh, versus you know the gaps and stuff usually go a lot later. And I really think because in the wild, they have a much longer growing season. So they can hatch later. Those Davis, they got to right. get it done while, while they have some temps that, that'll work. And so the males just come out and they just don't eat until they breed a lot of times. And I don't worry about it because they'll end up, when they start eating, I feed them. And then I get them back about the weight I want and then back off. Um, 100%. Yeah, it's super funny that you you mentioned the you know the incisions in the mice. So the the guy who loves birds who's coming on the trip, he's he's always pitching that. He obviously read the same paper, and he uh, yeah. So everyone in the comments associated with the show are saying, you know, go Justin, you got the you know everyone's oh, thinking okay. him when you said that. <laughs> so that that was pretty fantastic. Uh, it, it seems you know I have you know I don't have any you know hard data to back it up. Just you know. Uh, what I've what I've observed as far as the you know growth weights or what you know they're the look of them um, how much you know how much I'm having to clean their cages uh, it seems to help a lot uh, 
and with the babies, you know, babies that you're always worried, or I am anyway, with baby alternatives so small. Um, they eat a meal. You know, I don't, I don't run anything on heat tape. Um, I want to be able to digest their food fairly, fairly quickly, but every meal is a big meal to a baby alternate. And so I think it really helps the babies more than they do, do the adults. But I do it for every snake I've got. And it really helps with the uh, hog nose who, the hog nose and the getula who both, you know, drop big, huge, stinky turds. Um, it's not nearly as bad. It's uh, way less mess to clean because they're digesting it a lot better. That's super interesting. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Um, the you had mentioned before that you know just the variance in terms of hatchlings, like by locality, even in terms of seeing a predilection to a willingness to feed um, feed on mice versus insisting on lizards. Is that kind of Davis versus everything else, or what? How would you characterize that? Davis are the worst, yeah. uh, and I, I hate to say that because I, I produce a lot of Davis, sure. <laughs> but, but I try to be, you know. <laughs> Uh, I'm brutally honest with folks and, and people that want to buy hatchlings. That first thing I ask them when they, when they want a Davis, I said, do you have access to lizards and have you kept alternative before? Um, because I don't get them started. Um, I sell all my stuff straight out of the egg. Um, and you know, I don't want to send a snake to somebody that is it, the snake's going to die. Uh, and if they'll listen, it won't, but a lot of people don't aren't very good at listening. I found you guys are probably familiar with that selling to people. Uh, but the the Davis, they're just a pain in the butt to get started. Um, they'll want to eat lizards early uh, if they eat it all. And like I said, a lot of times they won't eat it all in the fall. And you got to cool them down. A lot of people are scared to death to cool down a baby snake. Um, you know, you keep them hydrated, they, they'll do fine. I rarely ever have snakes, baby snakes die during brumation. Um, you know, I might, like I said earlier, I might put a lizard tail down, I mean, a, a mouse tail down them um, just to give them something on, on their stomach to make them more likely to eat when they come out. But when they come out of brumation, they, they eat. Uh, I had some somebody just yesterday who got a couple of babies from me. He goes, Hey man, you know, they came out. I cooled them down. Like you said, they came out. They started eating really good. <laughs> I said, yeah, it, it works pretty well that way. Uh, but the Davis are notorious for, for not wanting to eat pinkies right off. Um, my gaps usually do pretty good with, with pinkies fairly soon. Um, you know, I've had a lot of other localities and, and there's also, if people, and I, you know, I'll, I'll newbies I always try to send them to people that are producing alternative that are, you know, several generations, uh, you know, F3s or so and from the eastern localities, because typically those are ones that are proven rodent feeders, that their parents were proven rodent feeders, their parents were proven rodent feeders, and they usually take off a lot better uh, versus the western localities that, that tend to not eat as well. Um, but yeah, the Davis are tough. Davis are tough to get going, but I don't know why the gaps uh, do so well from the beginning, but they, they typically do. Um, I've got one that's a pain 
right now that I kept from last year and it finally ate a scented mouse. And I send a lot of stuff, you know, it's to me, it's not a big deal. Um, I thought out one lizard, um, you know, I, I thought out a gecko, you know, the, the bold pinky trick, uh, it, I'm, it's crazy how well that works. Um, or I'll yeah. wash, wash off, uh, pinkies and, and send them. And another thing is I always take a, a gecko and I'll, I'll open its mouth or any kind of lizard open its mouth. And I stick the head of the pinky in the mouth to get the saliva on there. And they always take it that way. I mean, they'll just jump on it. Um, instead of just rubbing on their back works really well. That's awesome. Hmm. Would you mind going into the, the boiled pinky thing, you know, I, I know what you're talking about and Eric knows what you're talking about, but just a lot of the audience probably won't. So would you mind going into that a little bit? Well, I started, I have not done it for very long. I've probably done it for about four or five years now. I uh, saw somebody on some forum saying that they're, they're boiling pinkies to get, and I, it wasn't even Alterna. They were feeding something else, corn snakes or something. And I'm thinking boiling pinkies. And I, I went in there and got out one of my, my wife's old, I hope she didn't hurt hear this podcast. Um, one of my wife's old pots and got some boiling water <laughs> and put some pinkies in there, you know, some frozen thawed pinkies in there. And it didn't work great doing it that way. And I, I talked to some other people and, and they're, they're doing what they call flash boiling them. And so what I do now is I take a coffee cup. That's the only thing it's used for is for pinkies. So I take my coffee cup and I put frozen pinkies in the coffee cup. I boil water and I pour the, the boiling water on them. I let them sit for a second. I kind of swirl them around, pour most of that off, and I pour a little bit more boiling water in there. They turn gray. They get rubbery. They look very unappetizing, and snakes tend to eat them really well for some crazy reason. I have no, I have no idea why. Um, you know, you're, you're changing the proteins and everything else, and I don't know uh, as far as uh, – how good that is for them it, for in the long term to do that, but it'll definitely get them started a lot of times. Um, so that's, a tr- you know, you got to have a lot of tricks for these, um, all these Mexicana, they Mexicana complex can be tough to get going. And so you better have some lizards on hand. You better have several different kinds of lizards. Uh, you know, have some bold pinky tricks. I wash my pinkies. A lot of times I'll use baking soda. And so I'll take pinkies and put them in, um, and distilled water works a whole lot better. Put distilled water in there, uh, rinse them off, okay. put some baking soda on there, uh, kind of rub them around in there, and it kills off all the scent, rinse those off, and then they're unscented. And then I've got, you know, my smorgasbord of things that I can rub them on, and they smell like that. <laughs> and so I'll have, you know, a couple of different uh, scoloperas, you know, that I might, you know, I'll try different stuff. And and some of them are picky. They only want Eurosaur scented. So that's what I have to keep for that particular one. Or right. um, most of them do well with Medgex are, you know, kind of a godsend because um, I've got them right here uh, on my house. So I go out and I like to catch them on other people's houses, but I know I don't spray or any using kind of insecticides. And, um, and I live away from most of the other houses. So it's pretty safe uh, to catch those. So I'll catch them. I try and I'll something else I'll do is I'll farm them. So I'll catch the adults and I'll break their tails off and I'll release the adults. And then I'll just feed the tail to, and then it grows back, you know, in a few weeks, I'll go out there and pop the tails again. So I'll have a, like a uh, deli cup that I go out there and fill full of gecko tails 
and then th freeze them. And then in the fall, whenever my babies come out, they'll eat gecko tails and that, and they get a lot of nutrition out of gecko tail. That's uh, a good meal for a baby, baby alternative. And you can keep them going for a long time like that. A hundred percent. I mean, the biggest bummer that I know people run into is if they don't put, put them down with, you know, it can happen where the snakes are withering a little bit and they'll finally take something. And then to the point you made earlier, it's too big and they roll, you know, it's one of those, yep. like, I, I see it all the time where people, yeah, I finally got it to eat. And I'm like, Oh boy, you know, well, you got a, maybe a 50, 50 shot, man. Well, it's, it's against their, their nature to eat in the winter time. Uh, you know, yes, you can keep them up. And I know people that, you know, get them, you know, they want to get them big. I, I don't know why people are in a hurry to get these things to, to grow. The faster they grow, the quicker they die. Um, and I know you want to get them up and you want to breed them and stuff like that, but uh, it's not great on snakes. And they'll catch up. You know, you brumate a snake, it may come out uh, versus one that wasn't that was eaten all winter. Uh, they'll come out and they'll grow. By the end of the year, they'll be the same size. Um, and like I said, you're not fighting with it all winter. You know, you have to keep it artificially warm. They're not wanting to eat. You're having to try all these different tricks where you just get a couple meals in them in the fall, cool them down. And that's something else. Whenever you cool snakes down, you got to make sure you clean out their system. You know, you got to, uh, yeah. I usually go two weeks of keeping them pretty warm uh, to make sure they pass everything in their system so they don't have anything in their gut when I cool them down. Now I let them get cold. You know, they'll get in the, well, we had, they got real cold this year because we had, uh, <laughs> yeah, had I, I guess y'all know about all that. We had yeah. black, blackouts here and, and um, I live in Wichita Falls, Texas. It doesn't get nine below zero in Wichita Falls, Texas. It got nine below zero and we had no power. Um, Holy shit. I, I, was, I have natural gas. Uh, so I, I had my stove on in my house and then I was boiling water being big pots and, and taking it into my snake room to just keep it from getting too cold. Um, it was bad. We had a long, long, so they got cold this winter and they, they're doing great. Um, you just don't want them to freeze, you know, and, and the baby ones, um, baby ones are real bad in the winter time about drying out. You got to make sure they stay good and hydrated. So you've got to have them a, a nice moist hide. I was using sphagnum moss. Uh, but I like the coconut husk stuff better. I don't remember the name of the brand I'm using, but I like it a lot better. Uh, it's not as messy. I think it holds the moisture a little bit better. And uh, they'll get in that hide. I give them, you know, an area to get get dry and get moist. So um, they're they're regulating their own humidity that way. Uh, they know better than I do anyway. Um, give them options, and they'll they'll figure out what's best. That's fantastic. Yeah, go ahead, Eric. I, I got a whole host of different uh, different ways we can go, but if you got something on this, go for it. You're muted. Oh no, all you. I'm sorry. <laughs> right, okay, very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's uh, let's transition a bit. I know this was a, a question that yeah, Justin will be into. So, of the you found all the subox. Have you found a blonde? I have not, and that's kind of crazy, uh, which the blonde range is fairly limited. Then uh, we find, you know, we're finding that it's it's larger than what. Uh, it wasn't there just one some someplace up way, way. Yeah, they found, well, they found one south of Marathon. Um, 
in down by those novaculite cuts uh, in the Wood Hollow Mountains there. Um, it's a really cool looking one too. But I mean, that's a that's continuous habitat down into the Christmas. So it's not, and nobody hunts up there, uh, which I, you know, herpers are, are big time sheep. So, you know, it's, I, I kind of watch what I say on here as far as places go. Uh, try to talk about the more known localities because, uh, and they get, they're getting overran, but you know, South of Marathon there, um, I don't know why people don't cruise it. There's, uh, it's a cool place as far as if you like finding um, the same stuff you find at Black Gap, but now you got a chance to find, um, you know, Desert Kings in good numbers through there. Uh, a blonde sabak was found there, which you know, is, is enough to make, and it was really cool. Blonde, it, like I said, it's kind of reddish color, really crazy. Um, you know, you got some cool looking lepidus that you could find through there. Um, and there's a chance for Alterna. Uh, I don't know of an Alterna being found there that's 100%, uh, but they're there. Um, and you're not going to have as much competition there. Uh, and you, like I said, you drive out in the flats, you find some different stuff, then you drive through those hills, and there's not a lot of cuts. It's probably why people don't hunt there, but it's it's good habitat. Um, and then you go down to the Christmas, there's blondes there. Uh, and then they found them all the way over. Um, uh, there was one found on the uh, Dahlquist Research Center, uh, which is the furthest east, I mean, furthest west they've been found. And it is, it borders the uh, uh, Big Bend State Park to the northwest. Okay. Um, and uh, it's not accessible to everybody. It's, it's, uh, it's owned by Midwestern State University. Um, which is where I went to college. So uh, I've been out there quite a bit, but it's, but I haven't found a blonde out there. Uh, I just haven't found one. It's just one of those things that uh, snakes are odd. Just haven't shown on me on that. Um, I haven't even found a DOR, um, but I found lots of spots, lots and lots of them, and lots of them on the river, just not, not a blonde. Huh. Super interesting. Okay. Um, let me see. The so you'd hit on it there a little bit in terms of saying, um, you know, how people kind of like to, uh, it, even if it's not being successful, to do the thing that everybody else is doing. Um, I wanted to get into a little bit just sort of how the field herping community or the the both in terms of the number of folks and what they're doing and all that has changed from sort of the relegalization of. Uh, hunting alterna in the late 80s to what you see going on now and any thoughts that you have on that give us some of the the herp history associate what was it like i know um you know i'm friends with cameron and you know he was involved with that deal back in the late 80s early 90s and um you know from then to now which what well, you see you know whenever i was real real little um and we're out there hunting it was no big deal you know you could do we just always drove, you know, they, they passed a law in 19, I think it's passed in 76 and was enforced in 77 where they put pretty much everything you'd want to catch in the trans on the protected list. So alternative were protected, uh, milks were protected, sabox were protected, uh, pictogas were protected, bears were protected. So pretty much all your targets, um, were protected. And, uh, people still went out there and 
and hunted. Um, you know, game wardens were pulling people over. Uh, it was, you know, people were out there just breaking the law, and people break the law now too. Um, there were some permits issued for, you know, grandfathered. You know, you already had these, and you know, I remember my dad filling out all this paperwork, having to show how, you know, what animals he had. He had pre-act. You know, he had pre-act Gila monsters in Willard Eye, you know, before they went on the uh, uh, Endangered Species Act. So uh, you had the paperwork. So he was able to have those animals. But some people were still out there hunting illegally. Uh, they weren't spread out as much, of course. Like I said, you know, most people were either in Lane Tree or River Road uh, that were hunting. Uh, so even when they were protected, you know, there was lines of cars you know, driving up and down like juno road was really hot at that time so everybody driving up and down juno road um you could just see the only cars on the road they goodyear would do they, they, they test tires on that road and they drive like crazy and it piss all the snake hunters off because they run over snakes um or almost run over people but it was just snake hunters and tire testers on the road and it, you see lights everywhere up and down um I, I think it's 80 uh, 86 i think is when they were delisted um and at, at that time people had started spotlighting so people were spotlighting from their vehicles uh using the old q beams shining them out the windows at the cuts and so you didn't have that bumper to bumper traffic anymore but you'd see this cut and you look up the next cut and there'd be people up there shining because you could see that lot from a long ways away um they're really bright, really concentrated, and it's give you a headache and a hurry looking at those limestone cuts because of how reflective they were. Uh, but we'd hunt that way. And then I started carrying big uh, lawn tractor batteries in backpacks. And we would do either, uh, I would use a, a crappie light, which is car headlight beam, uh, attached to that and I start walking of course you get really tired and you start trying to walk canyons and stuff with a uh, you know a lawnmower battery on your back it it's, it's wears you out pretty good a lot of people sure. start using those uh, the fluorescent wands um, to hunt and walking around so people started walking a lot at that time uh, in, the, in the you know early 90s uh, and now pretty much everybody walks uh, of course the flashlights have evolved to the point where it's you know, they weigh nothing. You got great, great light. It's, I don't, if I had lights I have now back, you know, in the eighties and nineties, I, and I was out there walking, no telling how many more snakes I would have found. Um, but that's kind of the evolution of, of how people collected. Um, as far as, you know, there was, you know, a big sting operation that took place called Operation Road Cut, um, where they, on the same day, they were like game and fish busted into all these people's houses across the country. My dad's was one of them they broke into, and they started seizing, uh, illegal search. My dad my dad let them in, um, but they confiscated a whole bunch of snakes from people that they shouldn't have confiscated them from. They were, and uh, they kept them, they ended up dying on them because they didn't know how to keep them. Um, it was a pretty sad situation. Um, uh, and they told my dad, you know, they had entrapment charges on my, they entrapped my dad by, you know, having him ship stuff out of state. And I don't know exactly what it was, but end up, he didn't have anything 
that was illegal. Um, they, they got him to mail something, I think. And so they got him for mail fraud because he mailed it instead of shipped it with Delta Dash or whatever. And uh, he ended up having everything, all charges dropped on him. But there's a lot of people that got, you know, busted on that thing. And, and none of the charges really stuck and a whole bunch of animals got killed um, for animals that probably shouldn't have been protected in the first place. Um, you know, you got animals and you go out there, you know, you got fossorial snakes that are surface active at very, very little time of the year. And, and, uh, a lot more is known about them now. They're still, alternatives still protected in New Mexico. Um, but they probably shouldn't be protected in New Mexico either. There's just a very small area that they, they range into. Um, they, they've delisted. This last year, they delisted a lot of the the herps, um, even you know, indigos. Yeah, indigos. Which, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they they presented it as being well. We just thought they were easterns, which is kind of funny. Yeah, it, it doesn't doesn't make sense to me because um, indigos, and they're not uncommon. But I mean, their biggest threat is people out there. Now, if you open up the trade, um, indigos are cool. That they make. You know, I had indigos as a kid. They're a terrible captive. They're very nervous and they crap everywhere and they just, they stink. But they're cool. I like finding them. I don't want to keep another one. Um, but they, uh, but a lot of people would go down there and catch them. And I'm hoping that, that, uh, that doesn't happen. But, you know, if somebody keeps goes to catch the one and keeps it in, as a pet, I don't have a problem with that. But if, you know, illegal selling of it, and that's probably going to happen a lot more because now you're not worried about if I go catch this thing, I don't get caught with it. So now they get it out of state or whatever. And, uh, now they don't feel bad about selling it or doing whatever they're else. Doing. I don't know. Um, I'm on the fence on that one. Um, yeah. You know, the South certainly Texas, magnificent, ma- magnificent critters for sure. Yeah, the South Texas stuff is a whole lot different than the West Texas because the South Texas, the biggest threat is uh, habitat destruction, where in West Texas it is not. There's a lack of public access in West Texas and the Transpecos. There's lots of habitat. Those snakes are not threatened at all. From they may be, you know, their numbers may decline along the roadway, but the overall population is not decline. In South Texas, there's very little habitat for those animals. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit on the fence on some of those South Texas snakes being delisted. Um, but yeah, that's, that's just opinion. So, uh, well, very but, good. Yeah. Well, we're kind of in that, uh, in that framework, um, as out of state folks, what is the, and I, you know, obviously I don't want to put you on the spot, but in terms of like the, you'd mentioned it before about black gap, having the special permit and all making sure that out of state folks are getting the, getting the right thing, you know, trying to do the right thing. And it, some of it's clear as mud. So it's just a, a, a non-game hunting license and uh, the herp stamp. Is that right? To collect. And uh, you can't, um, there's limits uh, on how many that you can have with a non-game license and a herb stamp. Yes, you can go out and collect. Um, it depends on, um, there's there's two different lists of what you, um, as far as limits. Some are six uh, specimens, some of them are 25 specimens. 25 would be things like 
Um, don't give me, do not replace this for looking at Texas Parks and Wildlife's website. Okay? 100%. So would, yeah, yeah definitely not legal advice. Yeah, <laughs> just 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 a recommendation, not uh, you know the general idea. Yeah, you go out there and, and catch uh, maybe um, uh, fence lizards. You know um, some of the prairie lizards you have out there in West Texas. Um, I think you probably have twenty five of them. You know the other ones you only have six. Uh, if you have more than that, you have to buy a uh, collecting permit, and um, and the collecting permit will allow you to have more than that. But if you do that, you have to file. You have to keep up with a lot of paperwork. You have to file it with Texas Parks and Wildlife. Um, I have s- several different permits, and it's it's a pain. <laughs> uh, I've got a scientific collecting permit, which allows me to do some some collecting techniques that other people can't do. Like I can road cruise legally. Uh, I can't spotlight, but I can road cruise legally and pick things up. And that's mainly so I can pick up uh, uh, voucher specimens for roadkill and stuff like that. Uh, I send all that stuff down to Texas A&M for their collection. And typically if it's not um, something that's, you know, a county record or, or, are significant. I don't mess with that. Uh, I've got a uh, a commercial. Um, I got a commercial dealer permit, which is kind of it's kind of silly. The paperwork I have to fill out because I'm not catching a whole bunch. You know, some people are out there catching a bunch of walk off stuff and shipping them out of state. All my stuff, I catch. I had very few snakes each year to my collection that's wild caught. And I don't sell those. They're coming in as breeders. So everything that I'm sending out of state was captive bred. Well, that's skewing the numbers that are being sent to Texas Parks and Wildlife because there's no differentiation whether I produce those in captivity or I went out and caught these because they can't tell. You know, they can't, can't tell if I caught this baby snake or if I produced it here at the house. So I got to keep records on that and, and turn in that paperwork at the end of every year. I've got, if I buy someone, some from someone, I have to uh, document where I got it. If I catch it, I have to document what county I caught it in, when, what date I caught it. Uh, so it's kind of a pain. I mean, I appreciate, you know, cutting down the vast commercial collecting. Um, and we have stuff called their blacklist, uh, blacklist herps and whitelist herps. Blacklist you can own, but you can't sell. And they put like, you know, something like red ear slider, they put those on there, which seems kind of crazy, but people were selling tons and tons of red ear sliders. And red ear sliders are not doing poorly. They're doing much better than since humans are here. So we've got all these, you know, dams and, and increased areas of water and, and stock tanks and, and they're in every one of them. So they're more now than there were, you know, 200 years ago, but you know, they put regulations on them because people were shipping them over to Asia to, you know, for them to make turtle soup out of and what have you. So now you can't do that with any of the turtles. Um, so it's 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 a slip, slippery slope. If you just want to go out there and catch stuff, and there's not really there's probably nothing out there that you'd want to catch that's protected, uh, other than the uh, cucolata, and you would probably wouldn't want to keep that anyway. Uh, but I think that's the only transpecus snake that is is protected now. The uh, the uh, it's a black headed snake. They 
They yeah. used to be split into the Black Hood and the Devil's River Black-Headed Snake. They used to, that'd be the Eastern one, and then the Black Hood would be the Western. And now I think they're all just called, I don't know the common name of them, um, Big Ben Black-Headed Snake, maybe. I don't know. Um, they're cool. They're great, big, huge Tantilla. Uh, but I think that's the only ones protected. They shouldn't be protected either because they're, they're not uncommon. They're just fossil and proper proper conditions. You find them pretty easily, especially out east. I mean, uh, out west. Uh, out east, they're hard to find, uh, but out west, they're easy. So they've even delisted, uh, you know, the retic geckos and um, stuff like that. Oh, you might find uh, Texas tortoise. They're still protected. So when you're in the eastern eastern part of the range, where you guys are going to be out there. Because uh, y'all gonna be over in like Kenny and um, uh, Real counties and in, in that area over there, um, you got a chance to find one over on the far east part of where you guys are gonna be. And then when you're closer to San Antonio, you got a chance to find them, but they're protected. That's awesome. And you alluded to a couple other different bits of the law stuff there, just for folks that, that don't know, is that when was it that they banned uh, road cruising, absent being a special permit like what you're talking about? Uh, 2000 and don't quote me on this, but 2006 or seven, somewhere in there is where they put the ban on road cruising. Um, I think that a powerful rancher out west got tired of people snake hunters driving around close to their property and had somebody in his back pocket that pushed that through and nobody else really cared uh, a lot of people fought for our rights on that and it was it was illegal to collect period at that time i mean you couldn't um you couldn't even walk the roadways legally at that time the right ways. So it was all, all closed. You had to be on private, private property in order to collect. And then they changed it where you could go out there and you could walk, but you have to have your vest, which, you know, make sure you guys have your vests. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the law says 144 square inches of reflective material, but they, you can't find one with 144 inches of reflective material in front and back. I know people that took reflective tape and taped it on their vest to have more, but they, they're usually, if you're making a legit effort and you have a, you know, um, one that's issued by, you know, OSHA certified or whatever, and, you know, you can buy them at Walmart or order them off the internet and, and have enough reflective. I don't think they're going to give any issue on that, but even have it on, if you're in the car, I know, uh, especially down river road, uh, you're supposed to have it on in the daytime, too. So pretty much if you're going to do anything that looks like herping, I'd have my vest on just to be safe. Um, they're probably going to be harder on out-of-staters than they will in-staters, too. It so. was so fascinating when we had gone down to River Road and we're coming <laughs> back up. We went through that border crossing and the, uh, you know, it's way up just south of what it's even it's above the 20 miles, 21 miles south Alpine, right? It's at like. Yeah. 16 or whatever so we go through and it, it's the only place i could ever imagine that the response would be oh you guys are looking for snakes you find anything yep. <laughs> you know like yeah. they look four dudes in a car at 2 33 in the morning you know all wearing construction uh -huh. vests and that's the they know exactly what it is and they're just like oh okay very good 
Yeah, all the people <laughs> that are smuggling drugs and everything, they need to just uh, wear a reflective vest at night and they're in good shape. They'll make it right through. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're right. And and if the thing that's aggravating is if you're a geologist and you're working a cut looking for fossils or anything else, you don't have to have a reflective vest on. In the springtime here in Texas, everybody goes stick their kids on the side of the road in the blue bonnets to take their pictures. You don't have to have a reflective vest on them. But we were told that they're worried about our safety, so we need to have our reflective vest on. But they don't care about the little kid that's sitting in the blue bonnets or the photographer that's on the side of the road. That's in much more danger than we are uh, safely off the road, uh, walking the cuts out in the middle of nowhere in West Texas. But um yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to comply, and uh, uh, I guess I'll tell a story real quick. I've got a friend of mine that's a little bit, he's a little bit crazy, and uh, we were up in the Davis walking the cuts, and uh, I leave, and uh, I come back, and he's walking, and he's wearing, he's he's completely naked except for his vest, and he's wearing it like a diaper. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, oh, "Hey, he said I'm wanting a game warden to come stop me because I'm legal." <laughs> but nobody ever did. Uh, but I mean, and I guess by letter of law, he was legal. He had to reflect the material and enough of it. He just wearing it a little differently than um, than what uh, it was intended, I guess. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd make sure that you have that on anytime in, in the day too. So you're out walking around. I don't know if you need to wear it in the car in the daytime, but uh, at night you need to have it have it on. Um, something else, you know, you're not allowed to to pick anything up on the roadway uh, unless you have a scientific collecting permit, and the, the roadway counts the shoulder because it's an improved shoulder. It has to be off that improved shoulder. So anything that is is paved, you can't pick those up now. There's some people that do workarounds where they pull off the road and they just sit there and wait till it crawls off. And then they go get out and pick it up. Uh, that's a pretty gray area because it is legal, illegal to spot and anything with artificial lights from a vehicle. So you take that however you want it. Um, but, and there are, there, there's been people that put out, fake snakes, you know, law enforcement put out fake snakes and stuff to entrap people out there picking stuff up. I, I was wondering about that. I knew that was a California thing that they would do. Um, and I was, so when we went in September, they're really, I think we're going to have a different experience this time. Fundamentally just with the, maybe now things will be different in terms of how many folks are out and then law enforcement in the same way. We didn't hardly, see anybody at all but i feel like that's maybe a september thing versus a june thing probably a lot of people don't uh a lot of people kind of well last year was weird you know as as you know as you know and, and just in general but there's a lot of people out you know i think there was a lot of young people that were making more money you know on unemployment than they were in their job anyway and so they hey let's go snake hunting um and so they hung out and had a lot of people out there early later in the year. Uh, they probably just, it, it was, it was not a real productive year last year, really dry. I think they just kind of got tired of not seeing any snakes and maybe got burnt out and maybe left by September. Um, September can be really good uh, in a lot of places uh, out West and a lot of people don't go. I, I don't get to go in September as much as I, I like to because I'm, I'm teaching at that time. So, 
um, I retire in three years. So after that, I'll be out there in September a bunch in October too. Um, but yeah, you, you probably won't see as many in September. Um, you, you know, going earlier in the year, and I don't know. I don't know what to think this year. I know that uh, talked to some people that are out, um, you know, here the last couple weekends, and a lot of people don't like to hunt around the the full moon out west. Really, you're walking cuts. It, it doesn't make a, a lot of difference. You know, you can get on the dark side of the cut, and you're fine. Finding stuff crawling across the road is you're gonna find fewer, but you're not supposed to do that anyway. So. Um, but though I, I expect there'll probably be a lot of people coming out here in the next couple of weeks. Um, been raining a lot, which is double-edged sword. It doesn't look like it's, uh, it looks like it's about to stop raining in some places, maybe warm up a little bit. So it might be really, really good. Um, further West, they still haven't had enough moisture. The Eastern localities, I think are going to be pretty good if, if they can get some sunshine for a couple of days. Uh, so there may be, and then, and then people start posting pictures of them and then everybody goes, oh, they're, they're crawling. So here they come. Uh, I don't think there, there hadn't been a lot of pictures posted so far that I've seen. Um, but people, people are finding an alternative here or there every night. And that's kind of what everybody wants to go find anyway. Um, and a lot of milk snakes crawling right now. So. That's awesome. Cool. So I have a few a few uh, nitpicky specific questions, you know, that you're the perfect guy to answer. One, I guess one more law one. Well, two more law ones. One, um, so does the River Road exist as a like collectible locality at this point, at least for everybody who's not situated to pull stuff off the road? Or is it because that, that was never really a cut space thing, right? It was mostly a driving. A driving well, people. People walk out there. Um, they, uh, for the longest time, people just road cruise there because, you know, there's a lot of snakes crawling across the road there. And yeah, it's easier to sit in your car and, and drive than it is to get out and actually walk. Uh, there should be an easement through there. It is a state highway. It's a far market road, uh, FM 170. Um, there should be an easement that is public right away, even through uh, the state yeah, land. Okay. Now, once again, I, I'm not giving legal advice here. Sure. Uh, but there are a lot of people that do walk up there now. Okay. Um, and then, you know, you've got areas just outside of the state park on either end that uh, that are, are collectible. Uh, even when you get out there, you know, to the west, you get out there in the flats and the mud flats and stuff, you, you still find snakes. Uh, wouldn't be the best place to get out and try to walk cuts because there's not any out there really um but yeah i would say that it still is um there's not as many people there used to be a lot more river road animals out there there's just not as many of them out there anymore and river road for whatever reason just it doesn't produce snakes in general as well as it used to uh, and i don't know why uh, there were times that and lizards are down too i mean everywhere out in trans pecos the numbers of lizards are down and i don't know why uh, that is either but uh but it is it's a thing um so i if you want to do it be prepared to maybe get you've got a much better chance of being questioned and there's a lot more game wardens down there and, um right if you're already in the park anyway it seems a little bit uh <laughs> yeah. you know like kind of asking is. for it and even even to the point you know i was thinking about my 
that myself is like, okay, so if you're over by red for, you know, you're out of it to the West, you know, just barely or whatever. But if you just have something in the car, then it's like, there's no, it just feels a little dodgy. Yeah, it is. I mean, um, like I said, it depends on how, how much you want to fight it and how much you want to be harassed. And, and, uh, and you're really in a, in a, in a gray area there. So, uh, I would suggest not doing that, but uh, unless you just yeah, that, that, that was sort of my take too. I, I, I kind of figured you know this this isn't probably isn't worth the squeeze at this point, and it's a shame, but you know, uh, fair enough. Um, yeah. In the, kind of the same same deal, what about uh, one eighteen through uh, the Davis Mountain State Park? Is that we do you well, have the right away or no? That's, that's different because you actually have a a, a fence there. Um, you know, that, yeah, I know it's on both sides of the road, but it's not really like you're driving through it. It's just two different sections and most of it, um, yeah, that road kind of goes kind of crazy. Most of it's kind of yeah. like on the South, uh, West side of, of 118. Uh, but there is some of the property on the other side. Uh, I don't think there's any, any issues there. Um, okay. um as far so as, as long as you're know, outside the fence, that should be. Yeah, as long as you're outside the fence, yeah. Okay. Um, and, you know, and then, well, I, like I said, I don't think there's any place in the Davis that's an issue on the side of the road. Okay. Um, let me see what other specific bits. Um, so when you talk about, uh, and this is kind of gets into your naming conventions and stuff, I know a lot of the stuff, I think it's just sort of a, a shorthand for folks who love Alterna and are into it and it matters, you know, none more than you, right. In terms of saying this specific, very specific piece of information. And then people who don't get it, just think it's all silly or made up and just don't see the, don't have the vision for it. But, um, so I got a handful of these. So Olympia, what, what does that mean to you? Is that kind of 17 up to Wild Rose Pass or what, what are those? Well, you have Olympia Canyon that, that runs along the road there on, on where you're talking about right there up, up to, Wild Rose Pass, and really for me, it's right there at that picnic area where the cuts and stuff really stop. And um, most of my Olympia, well, all my Olympia snakes are from right there close to that picnic area. Uh, there's now Olympia Canyon continues on, and it actually goes over, and you can Olympia Creek is over um, on 118, and you have Olympia Crossing of Olympia Creek, and so it gets it gets really confusing to people that don't know the area, and I and for me, it's, I know the area, so I, I know, and I'll right. explain to somebody they really care. Uh, my animals are pretty, and I try to explain to people when people want to buy snakes from me. I'm like, mine are very specific. Uh, and if you're just wanting an Alterna, just because you think they're pretty, I'm probably not the person to buy from because, you know, I have some pretty ones. I've got some that aren't pretty, but they're representative of what you're going to find in the wild. And so these people, you know, a lot of people just breed Davis snakes together. Well, they're Davis. Well, the Davis mounts are huge, and there's a lot of variation within the Davis. Yeah, there's one basic look, I guess, that you have in the Davis, but the different localities, and not only are you changing in mileage and distance, but you're changing in elevation. And as you change in elevation, it makes a big difference in the phenotypes that you're seeing the low elevation snakes to the high elevation snakes. Um, so for me, really in popular breeding spots, and, and, and most of them were not popular until I started breeding them, actually, because um, sure, 
like Olympia has been around a long time and the state park, people have been doing the state park snakes for a long time. Observatory. I don't have any observatory snakes. I just don't hunt the observatory. And I always hope that I don't accidentally find one going through there because I don't want to hunt it. Um, but what, what, so let, uh, let me stop you. Well, two, two quick things out of that. So the, the state park ones, is that talking about the cuts that are kind of that first three miles on one? Yeah, yeah. Right there close to Fort Davis. Um, yeah. Okay. And, you know, out to about, about the other yeah. side of the Prude Ranch. Um, I would consider those state park cuts. Um, okay. And then you get, you start getting pretty close and then you got other cuts in there that people really don't hunt that much. And I don't really know what, what to call them right through there. You kind of get the Olympian Olympia crossing area there. And then you get the, the, uh, observatory. And then all this is on, on highway 118 heading up toward Kent and, and the interstate, uh, I-10. Um, and so then, what don't you like about the observatory? Let, the, let me interject with that one. What what about observatories and fun? Uh, I don't want to say it's not fun. It's it's <laughs> long. It's long. I'm I'm getting old and out of shape. Um, it's steep. It is the the cuts are most of them are really tall. Um, it, they're uh, it's one sided. Right. Um. You know, there's, you know, you can work a small section, but you're tempted to just keep on going unless you had somebody with you. You know, we'll, we've gone through there and, and leapfrog each other where you drop somebody off, they drive up. And when you get to the car, you jump in and drive ahead of them. That's about the only way to do it. Uh, right. And, you know, like I said, it's steep and it's high elevation. Um, and the snakes could be way up high and, you might just look at them and watch them crawl away. A lot of people have, and that's right. that's, that's a that's bummer to deal with. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this it's a. Other than that, nothing. I've hunted them. Um, I've I've never found an alternative off them, so uh, I don't hunt them very often. Um, and like I said, I really don't want to have to hunt them. I'm at the point now I don't have to hunt anywhere. I've got everything. I've everything paired up, and that's that's great. I don't have to go hunt anywhere. Uh, I can just go hunt where I want. So that's fabulous. The um, let me see. So a couple, a couple other ones. So the muskies is that on one eighteen, kind of the other way from Fort Davis down to eighteen thirty seven, or what? What do you, yeah, what do you call those? Well, Muskies Canyon starts um, eighteen thirty seven. We we call it the Girl Scout Road because it's got a Girl Scout camp at the right. end of it. Um, just beyond that, just just at the uh, past the county line, when you first get into uh, Jeff Davis County, um, you have two little cuts there that actually have produced, but you're still relatively low in elevation, and you just start going up. And that right. whole that whole thing is Moose's Canyon that you're falling up through there, all the way till you get to the the where it flattens back out, and you have yep. uh, Chihuahua Desert the Research, Research Institute. Institute on the right yep. hand side, and you got High Frontier on the left hand side. Um, and the whole thing is is um, Lucy's Canyon. Now, there's within even within that canyon, you have subpopulations. In my opinion, I'm not breeding <laughs> something from the CDRI cuts with something from the the low cuts down there at the right. bottom, because uh, you change the elevation quite a bit there. Um, other people probably wouldn't have any problem with it, but um, there's now there's enough animals out there that 
you know, you can you can do your sub pops even within uh, subpopulations even within Moose's Canyon. So all mine are come from CDR cuts, CDRI cuts, which are the last ones at the very top. Um, and those ones I always hit. But there's uh, I've got one. It's out on breeding loan. It actually fathered a clutch of eggs um, that that guy's sitting on right now from the the far south end. Um, right there where you're talking about by 1837. So uh, anywhere through there would be Moosey's Canyon. My biggest thing is, you know, this be specific, you know, you get several generations down the road, they're going to say, oh, these are Mooskies or uh, these are from the Davis or these are from, you know, that's kind right. of what happens. And, so, and, and that's fine for some people. That's what they want. Just what I don't like is when people post a picture, say, hey, what locality is this? I got this, I got this at, from so, so I got this from some guy that's getting rid of it. What locality is it? Well, you can't do that. And some people try. Uh, but then in the day, it's also that you got your uh, Boy Scout Road, which is a really is a pain because if you get yeah, out we there, went up and there and it, it seemed it seemed like it, you know, it honestly, it was one of those. I wonder, you know, and you can best speak to is it. Um, is it just sort of that it was a long time? No, you know the most famous spot for for a long time relative to to what it is, or is it worth worth doing? I, th- I think it's more of a like you said, it's it's kind of for the historical value, uh, and also you get down there and if there's anybody else down there, you kind of screwed, and then you, you got to drive a long ways down that road to yeah. find somebody. You get down there and say, "Oh, great, somebody's here," um, and enough people know about it that it. I don't even I don't even go down that road anymore. Um, and then up in, in, in Madeira Canyon, um, it's the high elevation stuff there in, in the Davis. And, you know, for a long time, I think people didn't think alternative would go that high in elevation and they go, they go, they'll go as high as the mountains go in, in Texas. Um, and so, you know, wow. it gets kind of chilly up there. Um, but there's snakes there and, Really, I started producing those and told a few people, and then they told a few people, and I showed some pictures. And I got it really a, a, a friend of mine's wife actually found the first one that I got from up there. It's a fantastic looking animal, and uh, and he found it. They found it when the sun was still up. They found it about seven o'clock, and they were actually coming back. We'd found some plants up there uh, on the way to Kent. Uh, and we were waiting to go to seed so we could get seeds from them and, and um, propagate those. And so he'd been going up there checking to see if they got the seed yet. And he was coming back and he was he he was looking at his plant book, trying to you know key it out exactly uh, what it was. And uh, his wife saw it and they caught that thing. And I got out there and so I started hitting it pretty hard up there. And most of them don't look like that. Uh, that's yeah. what people don't understand. You know, you get one and it, and it, <laughs> one and they spectacular one. And yeah, the, right. the crazy thing is the first clutch she ever produced produced these fantastic looking animals that I did not keep very many of. And other people got them. And since then, she has not had a clutch like that again. None of them, <laughs> are, you know, she produced these things with these big, wide, orange, bright orange, you know, yeah. crazy looking babies. And, and she hadn't produced any that looked like that since. Um and so when you see Madeiras out there, they're probably the ones from her that, and you go, wow, that's a fantastic snake. You're probably not going to find one that looks like that. You're probably going to find a, a gray and black banded snake. It looks real fine. Um, because that's what I find up there. 
<laughs> yeah. So is that from the, is that a road thing or that's a, you know, just at private access land and all that sort of deal up, up that no, way? No, there, there's a lot of cuts up there. Um, you know, it's up, up by the, the picnic area and um, a, lot, a lot of people hunt up there now. Um, like I said, it's kind of okay. It's not secret anymore. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. No, I know what you're talking about. We, Eric, we we actually went up and did did the little hike that's that's up that way and all. So it's a cool yeah, spot. Up there through the Nature Conservancy. Yeah. yeah, y'all did that hike. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they have and they have open weekends on the Nature Conservancy where you can go back in there. It's a beautiful beautiful area. Uh, and you get up that high, you got a chance to catch uh, mountain horn lizards, which they are protected, uh, the mountain shorthorns. Um, but they're, you can only really find them there in the Davis and the upper elevations and in the Glogs. Um, so, um, uh, I, so it's, it's a, I know they're cool. They're one of my favorite things to find out in Texas. Uh, really anywhere, I think mountain shorthorns are really cool. Oh, we got a question. Uh, special yeah, gear. Um, well, if uh, a lot of people take uh, extendable poles like uh, golf ball retrie retrievers, if they're going to hunt the cuts, um, because like I said, a lot of these things are really tall and you may find a snake up high and, and you just don't watch it crawl away because uh, you can't crawl up most of those cuts. Well, some people... <laughs> There are a lot of people got hurt really badly falling off those things. Uh, <laughs> oh shit! And, yeah, I, I, that was my thought. I saw somebody was on top of Nine Mile, and that I was like, that, I don't have the stomach for that. You know, you were you're advocating, oh, you're gonna find lepidus. I was like, I don't know. That sounds yeah, a bit watch, watch, to me. Well, you got a lot of room back there, but uh, watch the age. Um, but the like a golf ball retriever or something where you can reach up and and uh, knock a snake off the cut and catch it. Uh, would be something that you probably won't have with you. Um, and then other than that, I, I try to take as little as I can. You know, I'm not carrying around the big heavy backpack with batteries anymore, and I'm liking it. Uh, I usually just have <laughs> I usually just have a flat flashlight and a backup flashlight um, is all I take with me. Um, you know, I might, I might have a, a pair of tongs with me if I'm in an area that, that I might want to left us from. Or if I want to photograph one from there, um, you know, I don't even carry my camera with me anymore. Uh, I used to carry it with me. I just got tired of carrying all that stuff all night. So I don't carry much. Um, and then I keep I, now my, my truck, I have stuff and I'm usually close enough to my truck. I can go back to it. And that's where I would have my extended extendable pole. Um, well, that's about it. Um I think that's the only specialized equipment I would think that all turn hunters would have out hunting cuts. Gotcha. And a really good flashlight. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. The other, another strategy question, kind of general big picture in terms of doing the cut stuff is, or do you advocate, well, like what's, what's the process you, you go and you're hopping cut to cut or instead it's kind of you, you go and you walk back and forth on that same spot for, an hour, 90 minutes, two hours, whatever it feels right. What, what do you do? Cause I, I know when we had come, I think we didn't quite get that some of it is staying at the same spot and just going back and forth more so than going from A to B to C. 
And maybe a, a part of that, that that comes into play that we'll see now is if you, quote, have the spot or whatever, that maybe you want to be at the spot and hang out instead of trying to find someplace else where there aren't folks. Well, I'll, I'll right. put it like this. It's kind of like the old multiple choice question strategy. You pick C every time, and that way you're going to get them right 25% of the time, or you can jump around, and you're probably still going to get them right 25% of the time. Um, it depends on what you're targeting. Now, if the people that – now, I'll go and I'll camp out on a cut because I've got animals from that cut, and that's where I want to find them. Now, if I'm in an area that I don't really care if I find an alternative pair up, then I'll jump around some. Uh, especially if it's an area that, that I've hunted a whole lot. I may not want to look at the same stuff a whole lot uh, more. Um, if if you're in your car, you're not really supposed to pick up anything anyway, so you're driving from cut to cut, and so you're burning time, um, which is never a good idea. Um, if um, I, I usually, I would advise staying in one place. And, you know, finding you a cut you're feeling pretty good about. And it doesn't have to be a cut that's a famous cut. Uh, cuts become famous because one person <laughs> has a nice, nice snake there and people think all snakes right. you find there look like that. These are all turning. They're extremely variable. They're, you may, you're probably going to find an uggo in most places <laughs> you go. Uh, you know, you go to Langtree. Uh, Langtree snakes are easy to find. Most of them are dog ugly. Uh, but every once in a while, my dad had – my dad – Caught one in 74, I think, that was one of the best-looking alternatives I've ever seen. You know, big black, you know, black hit, solid black cap, super light face. You just don't find those very often. But people say, oh, yeah, we can find that. Well, it could have been anywhere on any of those cuts. Could have turned <laughs> on like that. But if you find out it came from, you know, this cut, everybody's going to go there. Um, and people that have had success breeding in certain areas, uh, you mentioned nine mile north. I mean, it's a monstrous cut. Uh, I produced lots of snakes from there. I got really lucky one night. I found three alternatives there in one night. You probably aren't going to do that. Uh, I hunted a lot of nights and found zero. Right. Uh, but, you know, that's a famous cut. So people want to get up there. And there's a lot of room up there. And I like it because I can walk the top. Uh, I like walking the tops. I'm looking for plants and I see a lot of banded geckos and, you know, maybe find a lepidus or something like that. Um, but you know, you also get cut up and, you know, and <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised on how many, uh, herpers just are, are scared of rattlesnakes and they're scared to death. I'm looking out there with these big chaps on and stuff. You don't want to walk those with chaps on. Okay? Uh, it's not, it's not very comfortable and you, you might fall off the top and that's going to hurt a lot worse than a rattlesnake bite. Um, yeah. and, and it can be dangerous if you work it you don't want to work the edge a whole lot. Um, so I, I, I tend to go to place and I don't even tell people where I'm catching snakes anymore. Um, and so I, and I hate to be that way, but I, I don't want to show up and drive, you know, and I'm pretty close. Uh, depends on where I go. I'm, you know, five and a half hours closest alternate spot and the furthest alternate spot that I could go, you know, pass on probably nine hours or so, but I don't want to drive that far and show up at a cut and there's somebody on it. Um, right. and so, and, and you get etiquette. People talk about etiquette and, uh, if there is, there is code in Texas, uh, uh, wildlife code saying that you can't interfere with a, uh, a legal hunt. So if somebody's out here walking a cut, 
and you go out there and you jump in front of them, that's against the law. Um, now, I don't yeah. know if anybody's ever been ticketed for that, but it is against the law. Um, so, and certainly people are going to get frustrated and you, you're going to have a confrontation, whether it's illegal or, you know, sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so I just try to avoid all that mess and, and try to stay in places that people aren't. And there's a lot people. I don't know why people don't understand if you're in, if you're in the Trans-Pecos and you see a rocky area, there are alternative there. Take a look. Yeah. Get it, right. get out and get out and start walking. Uh, you know, and even if it's not a great looking cut, if you have, you know, a road right away access walk around out there um you got a good shot of fine stuff uh, a friend of mine was uh he's got him a nice he's got him a little bitty cut that he he lucked out and found an alternate on and he's he's walked it a couple times and i'm talking a little bitty thing people that would just drive right by right. and it's a way it, it's a ways away from everybody else's stuff and he's finding a lot of snakes on that thing because he's getting out and putting out effort in a place nobody else is um so get out a map, find a spot that's got <laughs> some cuts and, and are, you know, got some road cuts and, and go try it out. You, your chances are probably as good there as they are uh, anywhere else, um, especially if you're in the eastern half of the rain, uh, range where they've been getting getting rain. Uh, right. So any, anywhere Valverde, Terrell, uh, and probably all, uh, all up into some places in Pecos. But Valverde and uh, Terrell counties, you can find a spot that has a – uh, some road cuts and there's a canyons somewhere near you're probably got a good chance of finding some snakes. Awesome. Yeah. That, that sounds fantastic. I'm the same, you know, kind of the, into the etiquette, into road career, all this stuff. I, I had sort of, and we even talked about it in the context of on the road, but what do you think of fake snakes on cuts? Is that funny? Was it funny 30 years ago? And now maybe it's less funny. What, what do you make of that? I think it's probably <laughs> ran its course. Uh, the thing is, if you're experienced, they don't look real. Um, <laughs> I'll walk through and I oh, there's a fake snake. And then, and, you know, I, I've got a collection of them. I always pick them up and keep them. I don't put them back down. Because uh, I've, I've seen people hurt themselves over that, especially if you got somebody out there that, that doesn't know what they're doing. And I don't right. want uh, – I think it would be kind of – if you're if you knew who you were targeting and one of your buddies you're just jacking with them that's one thing if you you know there's a lot of kids out there hunting with their parents for the first time and they see that and and they go oh dad look and they go in there just gonna be heartbroken i don't want her i don't want to make a kid cry um yeah i don't know uh i put them out before in places i knew that my buddies were gonna hunt and you know when i was much younger and liked to jack with my friends quite a bit um <laughs> but and I've seen some great ones. The worst thing is when people bring or find a DOR or have a dead snake up on, and they put it up on a cut because they do look real because they are. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Right. Uh, and I found some of those, uh, the night we found the three, uh, alternative there at nine mile. Uh, I found three alternative a night quite a few times, but I've never found four in a night. And we were, we were kind of blurry eyed because it's been getting late. We were heading back. Cause we were staying uh, the other side of Langtree and we stopped at a cut and we're, we're shining it. And then bam, there's an alternative. We're like number four, we get out and it's dead. And so that was a, that was a pretty big bummer. Um, yeah. And then, you know, there was, there was one time that a bunch of people brought a bunch of stuff out of their freezer and put out, which you start doing that. You got a chance of putting some, 
right some pat the chair or something yeah yeah that's, yeah. that's not real cool um so i don't know um uh, there's some really there's people spend a lot of time on those fake snakes some of them they're really nice uh artwork and like i said i've gone to the, i've gone to my snake room <laughs> up on a shelf <laughs> oh so I'm yeah, like, I think maybe you. the good ones. It's a whole different deal than the, you know, than the fake ones. But. Yeah, I did in California. Uh, I was uh, cruising out there, and uh, that somebody took a piece of rubber hose, and it had stripes on it, and I uh, picked it up, and on the bottom it says "Hosey Boa." <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, that was pretty cool, and so I kept that, and. Then, you know, and they do a lot in California too. I found out. Uh, you know, it's pretty easy to put out something that looks like a desert phase cow king. That's, right. that's an easy one to do, um, and it's pretty effective. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm kind of in the middle on it. Um, they, I've I've seen seen these just the crappiest looking glow in the dark um, ones you get the dollar store put on cuts, and I'm like. Who are these people trying to? I mean, is somebody actually calling <laughs> for this? I mean, it, it doesn't look real at all. So I don't know. Yeah, maybe I'll find one. There's some of them that are out there glued to the cuts. And I think uh, maybe you take your chisel and chisel them off and take it home with you. <laughs> oh, very good. Um, what are your? Do you have a personal favorite locality? of Alterna and has it changed over time or is it related to the look or specific animals or even just the kind of the story and situation that, you know, surrounds. I've got, I've got a lot of favorite localities. Um, I've got some that are not very favorite uh, just cause like I said, I've, I've, I've caught, um, I've caught so many in Valverde County and uh, seen so many caught and um I just don't care to be in Valverde County for most of that area. Cause they're just kind of boring and, um, uh, to me now, which is, right. which I, I, don't, I don't know. That sounds, that sounds bad. Uh, but, um, but I, that, I don't much care for those and a lot of the Eastern localities. Now I'm kind of on a kick where I want to find a far, far Eastern locality alternative. Cause I have not found one way far. I think I'm at, I think I found alternative in, I'm trying to think how many counties, maybe 11 counties, maybe nine. I don't know. I have to count, but you know, find them in a new county for me is kind of a challenge. And so uh, that's why I'd want to go east on that. But I like all the Western localities. Um, anywhere you have fringe habitat, you know, where you have a transition zone between one type of rock and another, that's where you get the coolest alternative in my opinion. And there's some people, you know, the uh, little avatar thing I put on here is a pretty, uh, pretty nice, but fairly generic, you know, light face blares. And that's what most people I think want to go find. Um, and the, while that's cool, and I think they're pretty, you know, I'd rather find something a little bit, has some, some change in pattern. So uh, that's why I like black gap. People don't realize that the majority of black gap snakes are, ugly they're just not they're not attractive <laughs> snakes um a lot of them don't have very good orange um they're very muddied um and most of them are pretty dark um but there are some exceptions to that 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 make it worthwhile to me 
And I like having variety. I, and when I'm hatching out as many alternatives as I do, I don't want them all to look the same. It's like, I think Mexican black king snakes are cool. I used to breed them. I got tremendously bored because they all hatch out and they all look the same. Uh, and so um, things like River Road, Christmas, uh, Black Gap, and then any of the fringe areas around the Davis. Uh, so Alpine type area. Uh, there's some areas I would like to get access to where you have some limestone coming up against the uh, some of that igneous that I don't have access to that I would like to. Um, some of the cuts, uh, maybe along the interstate that not many people hunt, which is kind of uh, kind of a tricky deal too, because you got to pull way off the road, and I don't think you're really supposed to park on the side of the interstate either. So um, you bust your tire on that glass, right? Uh, so you have to find an access road that's in the area, and there's not many of them, and then you're out there stuck on a cut way away from any other habitat and you get bored looking at it but like to find one there um so that's that, those would be my favorite localities uh you got stuff like the wacos which are gorgeous snakes uh, they tend to look a lot alike you know you don't have a lot of variety um i have wacos and and to me my i've only caught one waco alternative but it was a big deal to me because Back in the early 70s, it was early 70s, early 80s. That was like the holy grail to find a Waco alternative. I remember a guy found one out there, I think it was in 1980. And we loaded up and we drove to El Paso just to see it. Wow. Uh, my dad went out there, took photos, <laughs> photographs of it. And he offered the guy $500 cash in 1980 for it. And he didn't, he didn't even, even, give it a second thought and he would not budge on that. Um, so for me to find one out there was a really big deal. Um, and I, so I breed them and that's one of the only spots where I really haven't, um, collected most of my, um, uh, breeding stock, but I do have breeding stock from the one that I caught, but, uh, with loans and, and captive born snakes, uh, everything else I've either, I've, I've produced a, all the other captive born snakes I have here at my my place are all ones that I produced, except for um, some of my Wacos. But they're cool. They're they're it's a cool locality if you like that. You know, you're not going to see much orange, if any, out there on those. But I like <laughs> alternomorph, and everybody. And that's something else that, that bugs me is um, you get these black alterna, right? Which are really cool. I, I used to have several of them that. Uh, as adults were black with these, you know, white, thin white lines on them because they, they just turned black. It was like, oh man, those are killer. I love those. And so I said, all right. So I started breeding them and nobody wanted to buy them because they're ugly when they hatch out. And they go, well, I want a black one. I said, well, they're not black when they hatch. They, right. they turn, they turn black. And <laughs> uh, now nah, I'll pass on, you know. Um, and they, and that's something else with the alternative. They, they, you can't really tell what they're going to look like as adults as, as hashlings. Um, they go through some serious changes. Um, you know, even, even the first few sheds. And then even as adults, uh, some localities like the Davis, as they get older, a lot of times their orange will bleed through onto the gray, uh, which looks pretty cool. Uh, and it gives them overall kind of orangish tint. And the same thing happens with those Wacos. They start out kind of a bluish color, and then they turn light gray. And then as they get really old, they kind of get a little buckskin to them. 
Uh, so you can kind of tell the age of the snake by the, the coloration of them on some of these localities too. Yeah, that's fantastic. So many different flavors and tastes. You know, I love the Alterna stuff, the buckskin stuff, the, you know, the South Alpine stuff. Those are probably my favorite look overall. Just, you know, if you said, oh, what's your actual, you know, favorite? And it's those older snakes that just have that whole diffusion. They, they have a Thera thing going on kind of. Yeah, they're they're cool. Uh, and South Alpine is, is a very underrated uh, locality. Uh, in my opinion, but some people don't like that. Uh, but there's, cause you kick out some that are just pretty blah from there too, you know, look like some blah Davis snakes. And then you get some that are just outrageous too, uh, with these kind of red orange blotches. And some of them are, some of them are saddles, some of them are bands, some of them are spots So they could be anything. That's fantastic. Eric, I, I think you have a question sitting there in the in the chat, uh, and I have one to you. Can I go into that? A question? Hmm. No, that we answered that question. The gear. Do you see something no. different that I don't? Um. So, Brian, other than Alterna, what are your favorite West Texas uh, snakes? Uh. A lepidus. Um, I, I mean, I love lepidus. Um, I like the variety. Same thing. You get a lot of variety from locality to locality. Um, I think trimorphodon are really cool. Um, those are probably my top three uh, favorite things to find. Um you know, Kukulata and stuff like that, they're cool to find just because they're a little different. Uh, the Regal Ringnecks are really cool uh, when you get them further west and they get them in the light, super light gray. If you had alternative that color, you know, you'd be in great shape. Uh, some of the ones that don't have the rings, uh, really, really sharp snakes. And you don't see those a whole lot out west. Um, uh, Snake-wise... I guess that'd probably be my top ones to, to run across out there. And now the lizards, you know, uh, uh, alligator lizards are cool. I know that y'all uh, got one when y'all went y'all yeah. saw them last time y'all went. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're certainly an awesome uh, lizard. Um, I like a lot of the lizards. You got uh, the Transpacus has so many species of, uh, of whip tails. It's crazy. Um, and some of them are pretty, pretty cool looking. Uh, some of the checkers and, and stuff that are out there. Uh, the, the mountain shorthorns, of course, are cool. Uh, Roundtail horn lizards are cool. There's something else that uh, you can find the mountain shorthorns are pretty. I mean, the roundtail horn lizards, you can find them up in some of that igneous where they, they'll be red. And those are really cool looking. Uh, they're much less common. I mean, they're pretty common down the limestone. But um, if you can find it some up the mountains, you can find the red ones are pretty cool. And then, uh, you know, and I always like to uh, always like to find desert box turtles. If you get them far enough west, you got some of them that are the uh, forget maybe the, I don't remember what phase they call them, presidial phase or something. They're just kind of an olive green, uh, solid shell. Uh, when they get older, they're cool. Cool. I guess uh, you know. Is there any other places in the U.S. or abroad that you would? Uh... Like the herp that you haven't herped? That I haven't herped? Yeah. Uh, 
Australia. You know, you know, love <laughs> oh, me there you go. Uh, uh, the Galapagos have always been very intriguing to me ever since I was a little kid. I loved, I wanted to go to Galapagos. Um, I really haven't uh, left the country to, to herp. So there's a lot of places I'd like to herp outside the country. Um, you know, I don't even know what my targets would be just to wander around and find cool stuff. Um, I, I've been pretty fortunate um, for about the last 15 years. I worked for a company out of Dallas where I would go and train teachers all across the country. And uh, and at, in the evenings when everybody else would go to the bar or whatever else, I'd say, see you guys, I'm looking for snakes. And so I'd go out and uh, got to go <laughs> to cool places uh, doing that. Um, so I, there's, I don't know if there's any place in the United States that I that I would like to herp that I have not gotten to herp. Um, oh, cool. Um, with the exception, maybe some, you know, maybe in Kentucky for some salamanders and stuff like that. I haven't done that, but I've hit most of the other spots. Now, would I like to go back to some of those spots? Certainly. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I love uh, the deserts out in Southern California. Uh, they're fantastic. Right. Uh, I love the Everglades. Um I think they're fantastic. I just enjoy being out there, whether I'm finding stuff or not. Um, and that's really, you know, to me, it's it's overall, you know, herps are just kind of, I like to go places where any herp I find is going to be cool because I haven't found it before or I don't see them very often. Uh, so that, that's always cool. Oh, think, like uh, to get, I'd like to get up and look for fox snakes. Uh, it's something I'd like cool. to do. Uh, I, I, only hunted a form once in Nebraska, and that's a snake I'd like to find in the United States that I haven't got to really look for. Is there a white whale that you've been uh, hunting all these years and has eluded you, or? Um, I've never found a pyro, which is strange but under, okay. I've, I've, I've found a dor i've never i found a couple of dors i never found a lot of pyro right um okay. and then out then out east you know um uh florida pine is one that i really like to find that i haven't that i've, I've spent some time looking for that i haven't found um and then eastern indigos so i guess those would be the the top three uh, that I really like to find. Cool list. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, awesome. the cool snakes. Yeah, I've been sure. I've been fortunate to find some cool stuff over the years. Uh, found albino milk snake. So nice. that was really cool. That's probably the coolest, uh, the the most unusual thing I've ever found. But so that was pretty cool. Is that well, one that find it if you captivity, or is that did that uh, just go back to its seal in the wild? No, it went to a breeder. I, I brought it back, and, and a breeder had it for a long time, and that was good with milk snakes, and it just never did grow. Um, so there, nothing came of that as far as you know, even captive animals, which is unfortunate because um, I love milk snakes. I don't want to keep milk snakes. Um, you know, I don't want to hatch out baby milk snakes and try to feed those little things, <laughs> um, and so. He did, and I was like, hey, you know, I'd like to, I might try some, once we get some of these established, I might try to, to raise some up, but it never got established. So that was kind of a bummer. Cool. 
it's very cool. All right. Well, Eric, do you uh, have anything else? No, I'm pretty good. I'm just uh, ready to get out there and hurt, man. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm excited for you guys. I, I think <laughs> y'all, I think y'all gonna have a good trip. Um, y'all, y'all will definitely see snakes. Um, I know that you have targets. I don't know if you'll find all your targets, but uh, you'll find some of them. Uh, I'm cool. pretty sure. So yeah, I'm excited. Awesome. Just stay stay away from the crowds and, and find your little spot away from everybody, especially if you're in the Far East. What what I just got to ask you guys: What made you guys want to go to the far eastern part of the of of the the range? I guess of these snakes? yeah. So I mean, really, it's mostly a question of just the um, you know practicalities with going to San Antonio rather than El Paso, just in terms of flights in from where everybody's at and all that stuff. And then it really, I love to see a Texas indigo. You know, more it's more yeah. so that than even an eastern alterna. It's like uh, you know, if we could if we could see one of those, just see it doing its own deal. That would be uh, so fabulous. Epic, epic. It would be. Uh, they, a lot of times they don't like to sit still. So uh, uh, last yeah, one, I, last one I saw, it was mm-hmm. crawling across the trail and it just kept on crawling. So I didn't even get close to it. Um, oh shit. And they're, they're another one that's kind of hard, you know, cause they could be anywhere out there. Um, it's not that they're rare. It's just that you know, running across them in the right spots, it's hard to target exact habitat with those. Um, y'all got a sh- good shot at barking frogs and stuff like that, Far East. You know, like that kind of stuff. Or yeah, I mean, all you know, yeah. any any and all. Even heck, when we were on, uh, I think it was River Road, right? We kept seeing those spade foots that were super cool, and you know, any, yeah. any, any yeah. everything. Yeah, um, plants, li- lizards, snakes. <laughs> Well, there's greater earless lizards down on river road or you know in the in the park actually the but that was those are amazing those males are amazing they are they're yeah. beautiful I, I almost mentioned those earlier they're they're i mean they're common but they're they are beautiful uh nice to see well y'all shine in the cracks and stuff uh you know bad thing about shining crack you may see something that you'd really like to be out of the crack that's going to stay in the crack but you might keep them <laughs> You know, this time of year with the terrain, you might find some barking frogs and some chorus frogs uh, back in. There. I mean, not chorus frog, but uh, chirping frogs back in there, which are both really cool. Um, and you may you may see some snakes back in, and you'll see lizards, you know, crevice findings and stuff like that back in there. But you might see a snake that say, "Hey, at least I saw one." Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> We All saw right. the patch nose uh, before, you know, last time, and that that was a, even not a very cool snake. Patch nose are cool. That's another one out west that's hard to target. You know, if you get an area yeah. that you can um, have some stuff to flip uh, down closer to San Antonio, they're pretty easy to find. And you can find some boards and stuff to flip on the roadside. Um, and if you go out there and you flip anything close to San Antonio, things like uh, Emery's rats are really easy to find that way. Um, and like I said, patch nose, those are probably the two most, and then Aatrox. So those three would be the most common things. So if you found some roadside trash uh, close to San Antonio, get out there. Even in San Antonio, um, we used to find a lot of stuff inside the city limits. Um, there's not as much trash out there anymore, but back when there's a lot of trash, we'd flip and find lots of stuff. And patch nose is one of those things you see quite often there. Out west, there, you know, you just kind of have to find them crawling across the road uh, during right. the morning or whatever. But, uh, 
This was just yet another example of telling Eric, you know, I think Brian knows his way around this stuff is uh, Eric. Remember that patch nose was flipped under a rock, you know, up in the Davis and all. And it's like, you know, it's always, Oh, we did this. Oh, I bet it was, Oh, you find those doing, doing this. And yeah, somehow Brian's always right. hundred percent. I don't know about that, but I've done it enough. Uh, I I at least have an idea. People always coming up with new things though that are surprising. Uh, I tried not to listen to all the old school rules my dad always taught me because I found a lot of them aren't, aren't, aren't right. So I'll just tell you guys, <laughs> don't don't worry about the moon. Don't worry about temperature. Don't worry about the rain. Just be out. Just uh, don't, go worry about, don't worry about the temperature. You can't find it if you're not looking, right? <laughs> yeah. The night I found the three uh, alternate up there on Nine Mile, everybody else was in the hotel. We found the first one with the heater running in the truck. Um, it was cold and everybody, like I said, everybody else had already bailed and we found three of them. It's, uh, so you stay out, you're not going to sleep much. So get you, get you a good <laughs> hotel room with cold air conditioner and sleep in the middle of the right. night. Right. Uh, and it's tough when you guys want to do as much as you, you want to do. And I know that I know yeah. the feeling cause I've done it a lot. Um, but, um, how many days are you guys going to be out? So we're more than doubling this time. So we only functionally we had driven down last time and it was, you know, it killed a day on the front and the back. So this is, um, it should be more like seven nights. So I, I feel we have more of a, we saw a ton of good stuff on three, you know, three and a half or whatever. So I, I like, you know, I like, I like that, but it's still this, you know, it's not you living out, you know, or Dan Johnson down at black, living at black, yeah. or you, you know, being out that way for a long time. But you got, you, like I right. said, you get some uh, some warm weather, and I think, you know, looking at the forecast, it looks like it's going to be pretty warm, not crazy hot. They've had a lot of moisture. Uh, so, y'all going to be down there pretty prime time. Um, so just uh, stick with it, and uh, you got a good shot. Uh, like I said, I, you know, I know y'all want to go west, and there's cool stuff to find out there. Um I don't know how many nights you want to go east or west. Your best shots are catching stuff east right now. Um, you know, west, they don't, they still haven't had enough rain, I don't think, to have much movement um, other than the, the desert species. Uh, but out east, anything can move. You can find all kind of cool stuff. You know, I've seen a lot of uh, Sonora being found, and, and, you know, they're kind of, you get some variable ones out there that are kind of cool. and some of the stuff you don't always find blind snakes and um, cool things like that. So, right. Cool. That's awesome. All right. Well, I guess we'll uh, wrap it up and uh, yeah. Thank you so much for, uh, for chatting. Yeah. This has been fantastic, Brian. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Um, Y'all got to have to let me know how you do. Um, like I said, I'm a little jealous. I thought about shooting out this weekend <laughs> myself, but uh, uh, my my family's in in Walt Disney World, and I'm sitting here taking care of snakes, so I can't can't <laughs> can't go. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Right on. Yeah, we'll definitely keep right. you posted. Yeah. All right. Thanks, yeah, guys. Hundred percent. Cool. All right. Uh, I don't know. Do you want to throw out any info or anything? Right. How, so uh, the people who you know who generally buy uh, alternative or buy snakes from you, 
they know how to get in contact with you, but for the, certainly for the form of the thing, how, how do folks reach out to you? Uh, probably, uh, I've got a, I've got a Facebook page called locality gray banded king snake, uh, or I guess locality GBK, uh, and Instagram, uh, they can reach out to me there. Um, I really don't advertise much and most of my stuff goes, um, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings because everybody seems to want, everybody say, I want, your, <laughs> I want your nicest snake from this spot. And I'm like, well, you're probably not going to get it. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah um, I'll have plenty of hatchlings this year. I um, love to sell some, some folks. I would love them to be uh, experienced and have some access to lizards and be willing to listen to some advice. Uh, but yeah, they could either find me on Facebook. I'm there on Brian, just Brian box. They can, if they if they don't mind looking at a bunch of volleyball pictures uh, <laughs> of my daughter, um, then they'll be all right on there. Or then go to the locality Gray Band King Snake, uh, locality GBK um, on Instagram. Um, I'm on there and on Facebook, and uh, I probably need to try to update some of my stuff on there because it's pretty old. Um, okay, but yeah, I'd lo- love to have some people that interested in Alterna reach out to me if they're interested in locality specific and willing to work with some some trouble feeders holler at me okay <laughs> right on excellent stuff awesome cool all right uh yeah so uh that's it we'll uh we'll call quits and uh yeah have a good night um yeah till next time all right thank you guys i'll, I'll talk right. to y'all soon all right. awesome. all right, man. thanks brian all right see you bye <clears throat>